everybody, what's going on? Rob Cestrino, and we are back with another edition of the Tar Pit here for episode number 10 of The Amazing Race 32. And once again, we've got a jam-packed show for you. We're going to kick things off and get to our exit interview, and we're going to be talking with Ishwar and Aparna, who were the most recently eliminated team from Wednesday Night's Amazing Race. And then we will bring in Jess and Mike, and we will have an old friend back on the podcast, Miles Nye. He is a challenge consultant for Survivor. From what I understand, he has uh, some uh, very fun games cooked up for us for the podcast today, as well as all of your feedback and the Amazing Race social media from this week so uh hope you're on board for a lots of amazing race fun first let's do our exit interview uh with ishwar and aparna which was recorded earlier this week uh let's go ahead and uh, bring you there ishwar and aparna how are you going rob uh, Good it's, morning. it's going okay. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to the two of you after an explosive, amazing race episode on Wednesday night. <laughs> it was like the drama finally hit the season, you know, like the it got spicy. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Well, I want to talk about how it all went. But first, uh, how are you two both doing? Pretty good overall, I think. Um, I mean, like, it was, it was cool watching the episode. Uh, I think uh, what... You, I've kind of been dreading it for a while, but um, it was it was actually much more fun than I expected. Yes, and um, Cambodia is, Cambodia is a beautiful place, so it was nice to see it. Yeah, I think for us, um, I had like this anxious pit in my stomach the whole day, um, but just watching it and then you know this whole experience, just so grateful for it. It's it's been the adventure of a lifetime, so. Just don't feel too bad for us. We got to experience an awesome adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the dread come from? Was it that you two were going to be eliminated or you weren't sure how the episode was going to end up being portrayed? Well, it, obviously it was the being eliminated, but, you know, it was also that, you know, the rest of the season, I felt like there wasn't a lot of, you know, team, team fighting. <laughs> and for us, it was, you know, we were, we, we literally, I was literally arguing with D'Angelo. And so I was just, I was a little nervous how that was going to come off. Um, and I, I feel like it, it came off for you. You like, you know, it, you're, you're allowed to be friends with someone and still hate them, you know? Yeah. And so we like, it, it was, it was fun to kind of watch and kind of relive that moment. And I mean, obviously there were a few tears along the way, but overall really enjoyable experience to watch. Yeah. I think the dress he was, the dress for me was, I mean, like you, you, there's like regrets around obviously not going further. And so has seeing the moment where it, you know, it went away from your grasp, which for me in my head was the tile because we showed up and it was pretty good fighting chance. And like, you know, there's like different universes and how it could have played out. But like, um, there's, there's a universe where I get the tile before she and D'Angelo and we make it to third or maybe fourth. And it's like a comeback story, but it wasn't the story for this race. Um, so there's just dread in seeing and just seeing like that moment, just like me not getting the tile. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you had a chance, but I, I will say it was it was a pretty like low chance, right? Because think about it. The tile was like, it took probably what, 15, 20 minutes to make one tile. And we got there. We probably had two tries that you could have done to make the tile. Yeah, I mean, I do think, I mean... I, I think that I was messing. I was like, there's pressure, right? And so, like, if there was no pressure, like, if you gave me a tile making thing right now, I could probably do that pretty quickly. But because there's a pressure of, okay, this is 
like do or die and this is the end of the race um like that uh there's just, that was like mainly what the dread was around and i think i think in in my heart i'm like i know i could do that i could get that right and so i think that was what the dread was a lot of the dread was until the episode and then watching the episode i mean it's like it, it was it was a lot of fun like it was mm-hmm. it was by far my leg of the race that we ran so yeah and it's it just but i felt like that was the situation we wanted to be in we didn't want to get to the towel and see no one like i was glad we had a fighting chance like that's yeah. how you like yeah. as, as as like a super fan of the show like that's how you want to like if you were to go out you know i don't want to go out by taxi you know like right. that that's the stuff you go out like i want to go out like having been u-turn like guns blazing trying to make a comeback and you know like sadly we sure, couldn't yeah. but you know, it, it makes you feel like you're fighting to the end to, to win your spot. In the- Do you two know how close you were ultimately to finishing behind Gary and D'Angelo? We were like 40 to 45 minutes behind yeah. him, I think. Uh, like once D'Angelo got, got the tile and he, and he walked out and they walked out of the, of the tile making factory, um, definitely like was deflating because we, I still had to make a new tile. I just botched up one of the, my previous ones. And so I knew there's like 10 or 15 minutes before we, before I could even, before we, like, that was if I got the next one down, which I didn't even do, but I knew there's 10 to 15 minutes, even best case that I still had to be in the factory that, that we were going to be behind them. And so, yeah. um, yeah, so like things, I mean, it kind of slowed down a bit and we ended up, I think on the map, maybe I want to, I want to say 40 to 45 minutes behind them, but don't quote us on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you know, yeah, it, 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 it was, it, like if we hadn't done the other detour, um, I don't think we would have been eliminated. No, I don't think so. Um, I would love to hear from the two of you about your, your reactions to like seeing how this all played out. Now you were part of the Mind Five, but you were not in this uh, apparent core of the uh, Mind Five. And I know that a lot of the scorn uh, of being U-turned was aimed at Gary and D'Angelo. But after seeing how the whole season played out, is there more scorn to be spread around? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like for us, we like the mind five was like we had a pulse on it but it wasn't like a we didn't get a lot out of the mind five yeah we ran the race mostly on our own um we like we didn't get the hint for sauerkraut we didn't get told that the pies were going to be thrown in our face like we didn't get told about leo on sauerkraut exactly and it just i felt like for us you know it felt like a one life thing we were all you know back in columbia we were all trying to you know keep our lead above the second batch of people leaving the mines. And, you know, it, it seemed like for some of the other teams, they grew to a more, you know, stronger alliance from that. But the mine five for us was just kind of there. And we were loosely associated with them. We thought, great, if that meant they didn't U-turn us, like that was great for us. But it's it's not, like it's a dumb decision to take your strongest players to the very end with you. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that, that, that was kind of our reasoning, you know, trying not to be super close with, with kind of some of the, you, you know, try, try like I, the thing that happened when we saw the U-turn board was, you know, we saw Gary and D'Angelo had U-turned us and then the Beard Bros had obviously burned the board. And for us, there, there was this moment of just why, like, yeah, this is a decision. Like, why wouldn't you take the opportunity that you have? You know, that Will and James and Hung and Chi are behind you. You know, that, those are two really strong teams. This is the last U-turn. There's only two more legs left in the race. 
Why don't you take a stab at eliminating those two teams? Yeah, that being said, I think that being said, like our mistake, I think we made is we didn't, we did, I mean, to their credit, to the, to the other alliance members, like the smaller alliance members credit and to D'Angelo and Gary as well, because they formed like pretty temporary alliances with people. And I think it worked to their work to their benefit. That's something we should have done better is we, we didn't really play the game super strategically. Our, um, our strategy, which actually worked out and then we kind of got randomly messed up was our strategy was to go under the radar, which really did work even up to the Cambodia leg because everyone in the beginning of the leg was their target was D'Angelo and Gary. And they didn't even mention us as a target. And the only reason we got U-turned was because D'Angelo and Gary were with the Beard Bros at the U-turn yeah. spot. And so like, I didn't want to U-turn the person who was like literally right next to them. I don't know. I mean, like probably just because like, it feels weird to do that. But um, uh, yeah, so it's our, so I think that's a mistake we did is like we, we weren't as as like we didn't like suss out the alliance earlier and like looking back there was there's definitely hints or like kind of clues that there was this smaller alliance going on and like hindsight's 2020 but um if we were more keyed in on on how strong or how like alliances were such an important part of the race um we might yeah. have ended up differently i i think so i mean i don't know part of me still thinks of course alliance is a part of the game but there's got to be a point where the alliances break and we all kind of going into the Cambodia leg had been saying, you know, everyone's on their own now, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I really didn't understand the Beard Bros decision to burn the board for Hung and Chi and Will and James to be safe. Um, you know, they didn't even need to get blood on their hands. They yeah. could have just let us U-turn, you know, one of them because, you know, at that point we would have had a reason. We need a fighting chance. We need to bring another team with us. And so for them, like, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, were they all going to like walk to the finish line and hold hands together? But, like, like that being said, like we yeah. kind of did the same thing with the mind five Alliance, like that mind, the mind five Alliance, like we, you know, we said we're part of it and like kind of we're a little bit yeah. right? like we're, we're like super connected to it, but we did kind of like play our role in it. Like, like say that we were a part of it. And so like that, that Alliance lasted until, until there the only five teams left, like people, People double yielded uh, uh, Haley and Kaylin in India, and so I think that, like, I think that alliance you could also say um, lasted longer than it should have. Like, there was a five-person alliance, and there was or five-team alliance, and there's only six teams left on the left in the race. And so, I mean, like, I, it's understandable that there's a three-team alliance when there's five teams left on the race. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we had gone to the U-turn board at India, we would have U-turned Haley and Kaylin. It it just I think that I think, at I think, some point the alliances have got to break and in this case like with the Beard Bros I mean there were only two legs after like no, but do I they want to I think we would have yielded Haley I don't and think. I mean they were so behind and like you couldn't that was the last time you could use the yield yeah right so like would it but, just make it's just like there's no but we there's knew no Hung and, but we knew Hung and Chi were behind us in in, in Hyderabad. Sorry, we're sitting here arguing about no, what we would have done. This is great. I'm, I'm loving you two are interviewing <laughs> each other. This is uh, you're having better questions than I could ask. <laughs> no, but Hung and Chi were behind us, so we knew that like no, they were they, ahead of us, right? No, they didn't finish. Yeah. They didn't finish the um. They didn't finish the first yield. I I think we would have yielded Hung and Chi because our target the whole legs kind of going into the latter half of the race was hung and chi, hung and chi, hung and chi. Because they were always able to like, the, like you know, switch detours, get ahead of teams, like still not be eliminated. Like they're, they're a strong team. And I think that 
Yeah, but I think that's part of the reason why people wouldn't yield them or wouldn't yield Hung and Shi is because they're strong and they they had the kind of backing. They felt like they were strong enough that they could rebound. And mm-hmm. so it's, I, I think it, to like the Beard Bros and putting myself in their mind, I think they they maybe guessed like, okay, me and Aparna would not come back, which we did come back and we almost escaped the tile making factory. But in their mind, maybe they're like, okay, if we you turn Hung and Shi, uh, or he returned to Hungachi or Will and James, they're more likely to come back. And then now we have vengeance. And, and, um, like it's, it's easy. It, if, if someone's really behind you, it's easier to like squash them out of the game, right? And like, if you like, mm-hmm. you like quickly get rid of a team and like you don't have stress going into the next leg because you're like, okay, this team isn't going to come back. So I understand it from that angle because we did at that point, our strategy of being the like kind of unknown team felt kind of weak played against us in that moment, I think. Like, if we were stronger, maybe they wouldn't have returned us. You know, uh, I want to ask about when you two got to the Tile Factory and we saw sort of like a little bit of a uh, fiery exchange between Aparna and uh, D'Angelo. And and I was wondering that, Aparna, was any part of uh, what you were doing, like, I'm sure it was like an emotional moment, but was any part of it trying to be like, boy, if I can throw D'Angelo off of his game, that from a strategic standpoint, that Iswar has a chance to uh, ultimately play ahead of D'Angelo. Oh my god, a hundred percent. Like I, I I remember like with like yelling or whisper like whispering to each or like just you just focus. Like D'Angelo was getting flustered. He had already been there for like what two, three hours. Um and then to have the team that he had U turned show up, like can you he he's stressing out right now. Yeah. You know, he's like, oh you know, like it's gonna make him look ugly if the team that the U-turn ends up passing him. And so he's already flustered at this point. And so I just, I like, he was engaging with me. It wasn't just like, oh, I was saying a bunch of shit and he was ignoring me. Like, I was like, I was, you know, upset at him. And I was like, tell me your re- re- rationale. Like, why'd you do that? And he was like, blah, blah, Like, you know, well, this is why. And like, he, he was engaging and I could see that he just wasn't focusing. Um, and that was, that was exactly the position we wanted to be in. You know, we wanted a fighting chance and we wanted you know, someone who was flustered. Yeah. And then I know you two need to run pretty soon, but I would just love to know, uh, what did your parents think of the job that you two did on The Amazing Race? Because I feel like that as a parent, it must be a trip to see your uh, children out there competing on The Amazing Race. Yeah, I think I think they've been enjoying it. Um, they get stressed out and anxious about it as well during the episodes, so it's like not the most fun experience for them because they can't like divorce themselves from the contestants as easily. Um, so that's, it's pretty interesting. Like, I, like they love seeing us on the show because they watched the show growing up. Or sorry, we watched the show growing up, so they watched us watch the show. Um, but but like it, it's definitely like a stress. But stressful experience for them because it's their first time seeing it, whereas we're just reliving something that we already know how it. I mean, they they also like we're just reliving the experiences we've already had. Whereas for them, it's like they're seeing all these places and what's going down for the first time. Yeah, I I think overall though they were, you know, my dad said he was really proud of us. I think yeah. that you know we ran a lot of the race kind of on our own, not without super helpful alliance we did things figured things out on our own we didn't bicker as much as we thought we would on the race um so i don't know i think i think for them it was it was it was awesome to see their kids on tv and and you know they they definitely got stressed out but overall i think i mean how cool is that they got to see the kids they introduced to this on on the show 
And if you two fought with each other, we didn't see it. So uh, great job getting along on a very stressful situation. Uh, Ishwar and Aparna, all, all the best to you. You guys did great this season. And I'm sure that there is a, a lot of success uh, in both of your futures uh, following The Amazing Race. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks so much, Rob. All right, take care. Yeah, Ishwar and Aparna, how great uh, were they? And uh, that was very fun for me. I'm just like eavesdropping on uh, them uh, going back and forth, trying to <laughs> pick this thing apart. So I that was uh, really, really well done and uh, a lot of energy from Ishwar and Aparna. All right. Uh, before we get into the tar pit proper, let me go ahead and uh, thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are our friends over at Coastal.com, where you can get prescription glasses starting at $9 with free shipping and 30-day risk-free returns uh coastal.com they are the place to go if you want to buy glasses online but of course the problem with buying glasses online is like well what are they going to look like on my face but coastal.com they have an amazing technology which allows you to try on the glasses virtually uh it's almost like when they went to india last week and they were down in the basement they had the ipad and they could see those uh people down there in the basement this is like that but with glasses on your face face that you pick out the glasses that you want to wear. I've done it myself. It is very easy. Pick out the frames and then look magically, you are able to wear the frames and then you say, yes, those look great. Or your wife says, no, no, do not get those. And you can do it all from the comfort of your own home. We know how important it is right now to not have to go places. Coastal.com, they make it so easy. Not to mention, you have to spend hours at the store sometime or hundreds of dollars to get the style you want. Coastal, they have over 2,000 frames to choose from. I love the ones that they sent me. 24-hour customer support. We're talking about Newsweek's America's Best Customer Service. And when you buy a pair from Coastal, this is really cool. You can donate a pair to someone in need with just one click at no extra cost. And to date, Coastal has given more than 470,000 pairs of glasses to people in need across the world, which is amazing. Starting at $9, no need to leave the sofa or whatever chair you sit in. People like all, all sorts of different things. Sofa, I feel like is uh you know that, that that's like more of a grown-up thing uh if you're a young person maybe you don't have a sofa wherever you are this is only one way to shop for new glasses that's coastal.com use your fsa benefits before they run out now and for a limited time they're offering our listeners the best deal going anywhere how about this 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com. Yeah, that's right. I said it. 50% off your first pair of glasses at Coastal.com. Free shipping, 30-day risk-free returns, and 50% off at Coastal.com slash Rob. Even if you don't need glasses, just go there and see what you look like. Uh, play around for a little bit. You got nowhere to go. Coastal.com slash Rob. Only for a limited time. C-O-A-S-T-A-L dot com slash Rob. Some restrictions apply. All right, so uh, let's bring in the panel to get this uh, tar pits off to a uh, proper start, of course. Back with us, our chief Amazing Race correspondent, Jessica Lees. Jess, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. Had my own mini Amazing Race this week. Now I'm quarantining, so couldn't be better. Okay, all right. Uh, that's sort of like a pit stop. Uh, seven to ten day now, I believe, uh, pits, or a yield. It's more of a yield. Yeah, it's a five-day yield in this case. You have to submit two tests on either end. 
But apparently I looked at Phil's Twitter and he's also quarantining right now in New Zealand. So I feel mm-hmm. like we're we're friends again. Simpatico. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, of course, a man who uh, never yields from his coverage of all things television, uh, the great Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello. Sorry, Jess. I just saw a blonde and I naturally had to pull out my yield. I'm so sorry that it was used on you during such a big trip. How dare you, Mike? Let's listen. The alliance that I'm not aware that I'm a part of wanted me to do it. A part of or Isna or Iswar. <laughs> All right. And we are very lucky to have here with us a longtime returning guest on Robin's podcast. But I do believe this is the first time that we're going to be talking about the amazing race uh, with this gentleman. Uh, please welcome, of course. He is a challenge consultant for a little show known as Survivor and also uh, noted uh, game designer and uh, of course puzzle enthusiast here is the great miles nye hello to all the amazing race listeners everywhere around the world yes wow okay miles that thank you for including all of our listeners and uh, <laughs> not just our north american audience today i want to uh, acknowledge everyone the international amazing race fans the college amazing race fans uh, all amazing race yes. fans are equal <laughs> In the eyes of Phil and Lord, I mean Jeff, but now Phil. Yeah, the yeah. online Amazing Race fans. <laughs> yes, uh, just uh, that I'm just thinking now uh, that, you know, we've seen a lot of like, especially like pre-quarantine, a lot of like uh, people making their own survivor seasons. Are there a lot of, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to remember what Miles, uh, I believe that Miles used the term, uh, what, home game, Amazing Race? Homebrew. Yeah, I call them homebrew yeah. survivor, yeah. There definitely are. In fact, I've been in quite a few of them myself. They're not things that you typically film for consumption of others, but it is a very popular thing for in across the small town America situation. You have people like local rotary clubs will do their own local amazing race around town. And we used to do them around New York all the time. And they were quite a lot of fun. Yeah, Miles, I know that uh, you've done your share of Amazing Race-esque activities, but I feel like that nobody ever films them and puts them uh, like, oh, hey, check out our uh, Amazing Race UNLV. It's funny because I have never participated, sorry, I've never uh, conducted a homebrew survivor, but my company, Wise Guys Events, has been hired to do Amazing Races uh, quite a few times. I have Mm. produced... Um, a lot of amazing races. It was one of the last big programs that I did this year before quarantine. I did a uh, amazing race in Golden Gate Park. And it's really thrilling. We do a lot of work creating the challenges, hiring the teams, designing puzzles. And I always get a big thrill at the starting line because it's like, hey, one of these teams is about to like, you know, hustle for two or three hours and Somebody's going to cross the finish line first. It's um, it's very exciting. Uh, so it's 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 a fun thing to administer. But filming it, um, yeah, I think that there's just so much coverage involved. It seems like a tall order. Yeah, I don't know. We you have drones. Maybe it would let's be about uh, close ups. But you could just sort of have trackers of like this is what this team's doing. This is what this team's doing. I know that I and I don't know Miles if this is sort of the environment that that you would do the work for. I did this actually with a previous employer. Uh, but it was like massive. It was like not even the family edition. It was teams of like 10 or 12 people. And we were essentially on a work retreat, like sent all around this campground to do basic tasks. But they had the quote unquote proper Amazing Race clue. So it wasn't just scavenger hunt. It was linked to the Amazing Race proper. 
Yes, Mike, that is the kind of program that I have done for clients in the past. Uh, we use the branding, we use the uh, color scheme. Uh, I've got a big finish line mat that I can Whoa. unroll the next time I need it. Yeah. Yes. All right. So it's, you could give us, like, from Phil's perspective, uh, some of these amazing race things we're going to talk about. Oh, I don't know. I think that I'm uh, not to say that Phil isn't hands on, but I feel like whatever the equivalent is of like John Kerhoffer and the challenge team for Amazing Race, I feel like that might be more the perspective because like I've designed um, detours where everybody picked one and not the other. And the one that they didn't pick was a lot more work for me to produce. So that's like, I feel like pretty a basic mistake that I think that the actual Amazing Race team probably got out of their system in the early days. But I had to uh, fall on that sword myself. Yeah, that's why you have to go this or that. That's how you ultimately optimize their decisions if you make them completely random. Yeah. Miles, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your Amazing Race uh, fandom? Are you a super fan, more of a moderate? Yeah. Super fun. I am a happy casual. Oh, um, I didn't watch the first Amazing Race, which I understand there was a team Guido and there was like people who were eliminated on a continent when everybody else was on the next. So I didn't see that. I, I watched some of the single digit seasons and I own Amazing Race 7 on DVD, which okay. if I'm remembering correctly, is that the one with Gretchen and Meredith? Yeah, and with, mm-hmm. with the original Robin Amber season. Uh, n- names don't ring a bell. Um, but, uh, I'm just kidding. Don't be stupid, stupid. Yeah. Um, I feel like we, we, we neglect how hard Rob got owned with don't be stupid, stupid at the, uh, all-stars final travel accounts. I feel like he shouldn't have been able to shake that off, but somehow it seems like he did. Yeah. Um, I was telling big Tom that night, um, that, you know, right, right after that, I was like, uh, big Tom, you gotta be ready to roll with the merchandising on this. Uh, don't be stupid, <laughs> stupid. Yes. And given the time, he probably should have been selling like mouse pads, right? Mouse pads that say, don't yeah, exactly. be stupid, stupid on them. Big Tom knows what a mouse pad is, Miles. But <laughs> be like, I don't, I don't think the mouse needs a house. He thinks a mouse pad is a hole in the pantry. Like, well, um, hell, if, I, if I was a mouse and I had a, a pad like that, like uh, I'd never leave it. <laughs> Would it be because of pure animal instinct? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a happy casual. Then I've gone a long time without watching. And I watched the recent All-Stars season that had uh, Colin and Christy. Yes. Um, and that was so fun. I was really glad I watched it. I just had a big smile on my face. And this season has been the same thing. It's just been, to me, pure fun. And it's been, I've, been, I've listened to uh, almost all of your podcasts. And when I hear you talk about, oh, you know, this almost is just like what happened. Almost all of them, Miles. I've got two kids who are at home constantly. Okay. So my podcast time. Podcast listening time has shrunk. You have your own amazing race team to take care of. Indeed, family edition. The degree to which you have recall of which, you know, seasons had which contestants and which challenges were retired at what time and when they were brought back. I goes like, is that what I sound like when I talk about Survivor? But it's impressive because like you have the level of recall for multiple shows. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, a cozy casual, happy to watch the episodes because they're fun and they're thrilling. I have no gripes about this season i'm a cozy casual viewer and after the episode is over pretty much floats out of my head not this week don't worry i I remember this week's show i think all right well we Uh, have a lot of questions from our listeners that we uh want to uh dive into uh where do we want to open up the mailbag 
Um, well, do we want to kick things off with a little Amazing Race 101? Oh, okay. oh let's do it. I, I think it's perfect for maybe our other cozy casuals out there around the world. Uh, I, I think that, you know, let, let's talk about some stuff that might be uh, new for Amazing Race viewers that are back into the fold or, or just new to this season. All right. Uh, cozy casuals, get ready for some Amazing Race 101. Amazing Race 101. Yes. Thank you, George. All right. So I'm going to kick things off. I got two Amazing Race 101 questions here. And our first one comes from Noel, who says, I've always wanted to know what happens to contestants after they're eliminated. Thank you so much for the show. You're welcome, Noel. They all go to the North Pole, assuming her name. <laughs> they go to a farm. <laughs> Where they have plenty of space to amazing race around. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know if I know the answer to this question. I think they used to go to a place called Elimination Station. Uh, Is that still accurate? Uh, Yeah, it is indeed accurate. Uh, I think Elimination Station, it still exists, but it hasn't been filmed anymore. It's sort of like if they stopped filming Ponderosa, like the location name still exists. It's just they're no longer creating bonus content around it. Yeah. I don't even think they use the name anymore, but they do go, I think this time it was... Somewhere in the Czech Republic, they go to a resort and they hang out and they wait for other teams to show up and then they razz those teams for getting eliminated. And it's it, it, honestly, I've always thought this about Survivor as well. It wouldn't be a bad thing to go on one of these shows and then get eliminated early and then get six weeks to hang out. Ah, that's what you, you would think. Well, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't end up being roommates with Rudy Bosch and then having to go around all around South America with people that are decades older than me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Amazing Race kind of tends to just stick people in, like they take over the whole resort and they just have to stay where they are and they get to read books and watch television and swim in the pool. But they're so just a- like you and me. Exactly. But there is a caveat, though, because I do believe in the final leg of the last few eliminated teams, Mm. like your fourth, fifth, sixth place teams. You know, everyone flies to that final location, right? Because you're going to have that thing where everyone's standing on the finish line, you know, fakely applauding and cheering everyone on, even if it's not the team they want to win. But in addition to the top three teams running around, there are three dummy teams. They do Uh, not do that anymore, Mike. They don't do it anymore, really? They used to do it, I think, up until about 18 or 19. And then I have asked recent racers if they still do that. And none of them had any idea what I was talking about. That's sad because they obviously made an effort to curb many spoilers. That's why the whole elimination station things exist, because obviously if a team gets sent home early and they go home early, you know, something went wrong. Uh, But they used to at least take the last three eliminated teams and have them sort of like run the course as well. So that any spoilers out there, and we talked in the past about how there are as a fervent eagle eye community of amazing race fans tracking every move it'd be very confused as to who the top three teams are because now really things have been scattered by so many decoys that you really can't tell who's in the race properly. Yeah, it's it's a fun concept that I'm kind of sad they did away with, but I think at this point, maybe it was just that all of the savvy spoiler watchers cottoned on to what they were doing and it just wasn't valuable anymore. But I think... Also, the, we have to talk about the one exception to this rule, which was the team that got eliminated at the starting line. And they mm. were so they were so annoyed with it. They just said, OK, give us the money you would have spent on us at the resort. And we're going to go to India. And they took off. And the Amazing Race was like, yeah, well, you weren't ever on the course. So I guess it doesn't matter. Go to India. That was nice. It wasn't. 
Yeah. Wasn't there also, so I believe, uh, I know this happened at least once with Tony and Dallas. I can't remember if it happened with Abbott and James, but hmm. uh, if teams lose their passport and it's pretty close to the end, uh, they usually cannot get out of the country in time to make the yep. finish line. And in at least one occasion, there has been a t- an eliminated team that was not able to cheer people on at that finish line because they were still detained in the other country they were eliminated in. I think it was Russia both times, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, damn you, Russia. Stealing our amazing race teams. Mm-hmm. A lot of identity theft in Russia. It's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, All right. Yes, just second thing. Second thing. Okay, this comes from Wendy, who wrote in and asked, what happened to the fast forward? I don't remember the last season it was on. I know the task became kind of kind of lame, but it did make some- it did make it something interesting in a will they, won't they, who will make it to the fast forward first earlier in the race. I can only picture D'Angelo contemplating shaving his head or the beard rose if they were out, if they were to have repeated it this season. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty, so I'm pretty sure the last time the fast forward appeared was in season 29. Cause I remember the leg specifically when team fun went for the fast forward, but they like still ended up finishing in like third place mm-hmm. because they got lost or something. I'm pretty sure from 30 onward, we have not seen a fast forward. That seems right to me, Mike. And something that I think people that are watching a lot of early Amazing Race, which, you know, right now, if you already seen all the Survivor um, and, you know, it hit Netflix and you didn't need to dive back into it, you might be over on Pluto TV watching the very early Amazing Race seasons on their fabulous 24-7 Amazing Race channel. Like I frequently do when I have nobody around to talk at me. I just put on amazing race for background noise. And Mm -hmm. I think one thing that sticks out, maybe the hardest, there's a lot of stuff that is different between the single digit seasons and now. And the biggest one is there was a fast forward on every leg up until I think season six or so. And that meant that you could basically get a free pass to the next leg. I think with one exception, um, by going and doing this relatively simple task. But what happened was people were just skipping it and saving it for later. And the production team had to pay, you know, they had to set all this stuff up, which is a labor cost and a materials cost, a location cost. And it just wasn't worth it to set that up on every leg. So then it became like an, you know, every couple of legs. And then it was once or twice, once or twice a season. And once it became once or twice a season, it was like, now it's just a reward for arriving at a box first. And it just kind of lets the first place team get ahead a little bit more. So I think at that point, you have to kind of weigh what is the fast forward really adding? And at this point, we've found better ways to mix up the order that don't necessarily just reward whoever's out in front. Okay. Uh, let me, on top of that, ask though, because like you said, I can understand why the fast forward, especially when it became scarce, wasn't necessary because it was sort of like a go directly, you know, uh, pass go, collect $200 uh, or payday space. I'm intrigued as to why we have not seen the express pass since season 29 either, uh, because that seemed to be like a huge portion of strategy back in the day, especially when there were caveats of like, oh, you can give the express pass away to somebody else. Uh, I know that we sort of had that salvage pass, I think that it was, that Tyler and Corey won off screen in season 31, but I'm very surprised how much of the narrative was dedicated to the express pass in seasons past, and now in the 30s we have just done away with it entirely. Remind me again, the express pass was that you could just uh, skip any task, or was it only a roadblock? 
No, any task. Okay. So it could be detour, could be a roadblock, could be a route info thing if, if that's really holding you up. But it's led to great moments. Obviously, the, you remember the whole thing with like Travis and Nicole and Tim and Marie of like they were negotiating with it. Of course, we remember Who John and Jessica. That? Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that we could really remember, though, is John and Jessica not using the express pass and getting eliminated with it. Uh, mm. A move, Rob, which you called one of the dumbest of, of all time uh, in reality TV history. Bird so it's in my brain. Yeah. You convened an emergency podcast that night. Mm-hmm. You're like, I have to talk to someone about this right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's brought drama. So I'm intrigued as to why that's gone away, considering that we're, con- we're continuing to embrace more strategic elements like the yield and the U-turn that they're like, I, I think we're done with the express pass, though. Speaking as a game designer, I think that the fast forward is great. I think it can be great. And I was thinking, and I, I don't know any of the teams that you just named that I've never heard of the salvage pass, but I was watching this episode and thinking the tile task, that would have been a great fast forward. I mean, maybe they mm-hmm. didn't know in the testing of it that it was going to have the like one slippery detail that teams were going to get stuck on. But I think if, uh, I think that maybe just making the fast forward really difficult. I mean, to me, the tile task looked like it was difficult. It was easy if you could apprehend what was going on. But if you couldn't, you could be there for ages. What would you think? Like, should something like that be a fast forward as opposed to something that you basically can't fail at? Well, that's always been my quibble with the fast forward, to be honest. And with a lot of those extra task situations is they're never they're never quite hard enough. Like the speed bump used to be something that you had to kind of work out a little bit too. And now it's just basically like we, we joke around. Saddle. Yeah, yeah. Clean the saddle. Get some ice cream. Yeah. I was going to say ice cream. That's the one. And there was actually a fast forward Put once that was fake beard on. Yes. There was once a fast forward that was eat a meat pie. And that it was not like it didn't have weird meat in it. It was just a meat pie. Mm. And that seems to me like, I want there to be a certain amount of skill or luck or strategy involved with anything. And then you have to weigh the risks. And there was a lot more of that weighing the risks kind of stuff in the earlier seasons. And they've taken a lot of that out. The other thing that I really loved was an amazing race. Canada. I'm sorry to continue bringing up amazing race. Canada when so many people have not seen it. Amazing race. Canada accepted. Yes. Miles, this is a podcast for the people of the world. Those yeah, this is casual. including our neighbors to the north, um, which, you know, Canada contains a lot of our deepest, most loyal fans. So I like to throw them a bone every now and then. But one season of Razor Race Canada had a task where you had to go out of your way to an entirely different task and search through a huge, it was like a needle in a haystack task. I think they were in a record factory and they had to go through all these records yeah. to find the hidden express that was, pass. That was and, uh, Steph and Kristen, right? I think did that. Yes, Steph and Kristen. Yep. And it was, there were two teams going head to head and you didn't know which one of them was going to get it and which one was going to back away and decide it's not worth it to risk getting eliminated at this point. We'll just let them have it. I want more of that. I want there to be something that you have to you have to decide, do I think I can do this task? And do I think I can do it quickly enough that it's not going to slow my game down? And mm-hmm. I like that. I also, I think similarly, I liked what they did with the yield this year where everybody got a yield, but they had to go look for it. And I think it could be similar. It, they might have as many express passes hidden as there are teams. And you can decide if you want to go for it and how long you want to spend looking for it. And I think, yeah, I think even just hiding it is enough of a challenge. 
Yeah. And so on that note, you know, something that I've been thinking of is something that they actually did back in Amazing Race 25, where there was like a task where on the way to the pit stop, they had the option to go out of their way and search for an express pass, like a kneel in a haystack type of thing. And I wonder if the issue is like, hey, we don't want to build out an entire location for a task that might not get used. We talked about this actually uh, this past week with like, Maybe, you know, uh, instead of like a yield or a U-turn, it's more so like complete a harder version of the task. What if there is like a side task at a roadblock or a detour that's like, hey, if you want to go for the fast forward or the express pass, you have to do this thing. And if you fail at it, then you can still go back and do the task, but it's still at that site. You're not necessarily having to rely on scouting out another location for it. Like maybe you make the tile and then if you want the express pass, you have to go solve the... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like fit the tiles into a mosaic that uh, fits the judge's liking, you know? Yeah. Or do a slide puzzle that's got more pieces. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. It's like they knew that I was going to come and guest on the show because they <laughs> said it in Cambodia where they had Korong and Second Chances and they threw a slide puzzle in there. But I listened to the podcast where you said they, they have done slide puzzles before. It is interesting when you have a really difficult task, like the tile seemed really difficult, and then you throw a slide puzzle at the end, which didn't seem to give anybody any difficulty at all, at least not as yeah. we could see. I was a little surprised that they didn't just cut it completely. It reminded me of in Millennials versus Gen X, there was a great individual immunity challenge where the players had to reach through the bars of a cage and solve a maze they couldn't see oh, by yeah. moving a peg through a door. Great challenge. And then at the end of it, they had to do a really easy slide puzzle. And so, um, like, uh, you know, that, that, that I thought was a questionable decision. Like, no, just walk through the cage and you win because Jay finished the maze the fastest and then he finished the slide puzzle really fast before anybody else made it through the cage. I think on paper, it'd be like, oh, multiple people have made it through the cage and are working on the slide puzzle at the same time. But in practice, that is not how it turned out. So yeah, I don't think you can stick a slide puzzle on the end of something and expect that like it's going to be greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. Right, the hard the hard part should be the second part, not not the first part. It shouldn't be like, okay, you completed this marathon and now you must eat this ice cream cone. Like, all right, we don't, <laughs> we don't need the ice cream cone. Well, speaking of Survivor, I do want to bring up something, a tweet that went semi-viral from your friend and mine, Shannon Gus. Uh, she had tweeted something to the effect of like, oh, the Cambodian pit stop greeter won immunity. And she took the two pictures and if you and DC, Rob, this is something you and me and Shannon discussed a I few know. weeks ago on Outwit Outplay Out List. Uh, if you look at the Cambodian pit stop greeter for this leg, she is indeed wearing a necklace that is very, very, very similar to the one that was beautifully shown as the individual immunity necklace in Survivor Cambodia proper. Yeah, and you can see that on Shannon's uh, Twitter. I'm going to go ahead and bring it up here so we can show uh, Miles to see if... Uh, I saw the tweet. Yeah, I was gobsmacked and I was like, Shannon eagle-eyed Shannon like I want her on my amazing race teams when we have to identify bangles because she clearly has an aptitude for it Mm -hmm. yeah wow uh amazing uh so I I guess it uh Mike do we give more or less credit to Survivor for sort of like uh ripping off some sort of existing design from Cambodia I think more because as we talked about during that podcast, I'd rather have that than let's throw rope and mm-hmm. tentacles onto something and claim yes. it's you know inherent to the culture. Uh, should we maybe apologize to Survivor for some of the immunity necklaces that we criticize, like That's uh, true. the uh, ratchet uh, 
uh, Nicaragua or Survivor One World, uh, you know, a potpourri of everything necklace? Is that maybe some sort of a necklace that is very common in uh, Nicaraguan <laughs> culture? Exactly. Who knows that? Like, yeah, the, the whole Panama, like giant bib of literally everything in the junk drawer that might be inherent to the culture. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so who are we to, to, you know, again, to Miles' point, we're speaking to the international aspect of this. Who are we to infringe on people's rights to hearken their immunity necklaces back to what pit stop greeters may wear? I think we just haven't gone to those locations necessarily to see what these pit stop greeters wear. I'm sure they wear the exact same yeah. things. Is it possible this woman just solved a five-piece puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> she could have solved the nine-piece puzzle. Yeah. Is it possible she's going to do ayahuasca and lead us in a meditation? <laughs> that, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what the next couple of years hold. <laughs> but yeah, I, for of the many Survivor connections, uh, Miles, you know, guest appearance included between Survivor and Amazing Race this week. That was yet another one that here comes a little piece of uh, back in 2015 coming all the way back to Amazing Race uh, three years later than five years later yeah. now. This is a great topper to that tweet thread that uh, Shannon Gus says, uh, as with everything, I blame a Mike Bloom type. That should honestly be her Twitter bio at this point, because I, I think it, 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 it's true. And, it, and it, I think it speaks for a lot of things in life. Yeah, I'd say that she should get it as a tattoo. But I feel like then we'd be, you know, uh, shortchanging a potential brand steal. So, uh, yeah, well, we'll just really put the thumb on the scale of like 19. I blame Adam Mike Bloom type and one, the Cambodian greeter necklace, which would be around her collarbone. And Cambodian greeter necklace would win. Mm-hmm. It would yeah, exactly. no tattoo. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, I've got one. And actually, Miles, I'm really glad that you are here so we can reopen this wound that we that we gouged in ourselves after the recap on on Wednesday night, because I have a lot of new thoughts because I've had a lot of downtime these last couple of days to think about this. And I am really interested to get a game designer's expertise on this. So. I'm going to open it up with this question that we got from Sarah, who says, I'm just wondering why burning the board would even be allowed. If I were the amazing race, I would just say you can't U-turn someone who already was ahead. Of course, teams don't always know who is ahead, but I wonder if there wouldn't be a more exciting way to do this. So, Miles, I want to get first your thoughts on on this practice of burning the board and how you think it affects the game. If it's something that you can live with or is it something that you wish they would do away with? Yes, I have thoughts on this topic. Um, TLDR, it's fine. <laughs> I, in my opinion, oh. I think it's fine. It's fine. Because here's the thing. Good games, so and I'm not on. the first so, person. So basically, yeah. uh, could we get our uh, social media department, uh, could we get uh, the little cartoon of the dog on the burnt board <laughs> with Miles' caption, it's fine. This, this is, is fine. fine. Yeah, is fine. fine. The board is burned. Everything around me is burning. This is fine. <laughs> Look, I, a good game, it has been observed. I'm not, this is not an original thought for me. A good game is a series of interesting choices. If there aren't choices or if the choices aren't interesting, then you don't have much of a game. In this instance, I think that the uh, Beard Brothers who burned the board by putting the footballers up there made a choice the fans didn't like. But... That doesn't mean that the solution is to introduce new rules. Well, you're not allowed to... And I think that's a, that's a rookie game designer mistake. When the players do something that you don't like, 
You say, well, I'm going to fix this by adding a rule that patches over it so that this one instance won't turn out in the outcome that I didn't like. Because you do have to ask what is broken. If you make the rule, you can't U-turn a team who has already come and gone then you need to provide teams with an accurate list of who's ahead of them, which definitely undermines a key element of the amazing race, which is you usually or frequently can't be sure what position you're in. So then you kind of go, well, what is being sacrificed in this instance? I mean, the brothers made a choice. It's not a choice that necessarily produced the outcome that the fans necessarily would have wanted or didn't produce an outcome that was uh, sensational, um, but it was their choice. So I don't think that the answer is like, well, narrow their choices, cut off their choices, add new rules so they don't have those choices. I think if the Amazing Race got run 80, 100, 200, 300 times, we'd see lots of different outcomes. But you have to realize, like, this is only with, what Amazing Race 32. And not every Amazing Race even has a double U-turn and not every double U-turn is going to have a burn the board. Like, do you, I think that having a double U-turn is better than a single U-turn because at least there's the option that one team is not going to be the only team that has to do the double U-turn. But it means it's sometimes going to get used this way. I mean, a team could unintentionally burn the board. And yeah. therefore, I think you have to, I think my vote, if anybody asked, which I guess Sarah in a way did, <laughs> um, is... Leave it as is. So yeah, this time it didn't turn out the way you wanted. I get that. Um, but uh, no, I, I would vote to leave it as is because uh, to do otherwise is to, I think, ruin a piece of the race as it stands that I think would really damage its integrity. So what you're saying, Miles, is that if a team you turns another team, they shouldn't enter a competition where they have to make some sort of fire, I don't know, and then the winner advances. You're saying we don't need to change up the rules that much to get a certain outcome? I think you've pinpointed an example where somebody's like, well, I don't really like somebody. I don't know who could be any number of people, right? I don't really like the choices that the players are making. So let me add a new rule that will paper over that choice. And then maybe I'll get an outcome that I like more. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a really good point, Miles. And I think people are just very results oriented this season because the story was given over so much to this alliance and when the dominant alliance prevails, we're so conditioned by survivor and the like to feel like we didn't get the outcome we wanted. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That being said, I think I might've fixed the burning the board thing. Like yeah. if it ever becomes, if burning the board ever becomes such a problem that everybody just does it and the double U-turn stops being something that adds any element of surprise, which is a possible outcome. Here's what I think. I think, if you get up to the U-turn board and you U-turn a team that is ahead of you, obviously that team can't do the U-turn. But as soon as you leave the U-turn board, the U-turn slot becomes free again. So mm. you, you get a shot at U-turning somebody. You don't know who's ahead of you. You don't know who's behind you. You can guess. And if you guess wrong, you have burned your U-turn and you don't get to come back and try a different team. But you don't necessarily know if that team ever had to do the U-turn or not, or if somebody else got to U-turn a different team. Oh, so they so they shouldn't be stickers. They should be like color forms that they can easily peel off when they're done. I think they're, they're magnets anyway. Um, but or make it a make it a board, like make it a a digital like a touch screen. Yeah, because they've they've done that a couple times. Yeah. I think they've done like tablets on there that they can yeah, yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. So you choose your team, and you might even get it. Might even tell you that your U turn didn't work. 
So like you, you pick a team. Eh, yeah, it's like eh, keep going. Yeah, that's my that's my fix for it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. I love it. I think it's a great idea because I think that that represents. It's not just saying like, well, you can't do that anymore. It's I think like maybe like every team when they reach the U-turn board has to either select another team to U-turn or select no U-turn. And you have no idea whether one, two, or zero of the U-turns were already used. I like that. Yeah, I like that. It has definitely like a mystery box approach. So that way, that also puts anxiety in even the the minds of the teams ahead, right? Because usually mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, we already burned the board. We're fine. Aparna and Iswar are, are set back. But you could be like, uh, I don't know if that worked. Or I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So everyone's still on edge. A couple of, of things I wanted to ask about with the U-turn, because I'm a little confused. And Jess, maybe you could clarify this for me as well. Because I know that, I don't know if he, they talked about this with you, Rob, but I know Aparna said to me, you know, because we had talked about like, yeah, it makes sense why Gary and D'Angelo U-turn East and Aparna because they didn't know where they were uh, in comparison to Will and James and Hung and Chi. Aparna seems very convinced that like, oh, they had to look at the clues in the box. I was under the impression you couldn't look in the clue box until you choose whether to U-turn or not. Do we know if that's still true? That's a good question, Mike. I'm not sure. Because I think we've seen in situations where there's not, I've I've heard that sometimes the show puts extra clues in the box so you're not sure. Yeah. But I, I think that's something I would have to specifically ask a team. And we certainly, we have enough of them on the horn. We could probably mm-hmm. get that answer for you. But I would think that, I would guess that given what they given what they're implying here, it doesn't seem like that's the case, but yeah, I mean, now I want to know. Cause in the, in the past when I've sort of tracked the timeline in my head, it's usually they get to the mat, say like, we choose not to U-turn or this is who we U-turn. And then they go into yep. the box and then they get the clue. So therefore, listen, I do, I do not want to, you know, uh, throw eggs onto the face of a partner who admittedly is not having uh, the best week having to rewatch all this. But that, that seemed like a bit of faulty logic to me, if that's still the case, if it's not, and it turns out that they looked into the clue box, then yeah. Not a great move on their part since they saw the position they were in, but I was a little confused by that just by watching previous seasons. Yeah, no eggs thrown at anyone's face on this show. Yeah. No, not yet. Uh, that's back to Beck and Floyd last season with the vaulting <laughs> yes. over the ditch. The other thing that I had a question about. Speaking of other, I mean, Jess, I think provided a fantastic way to fix the U-turn. I know that DJ Labelle Klein uh, had tweeted something to us yesterday at the time of recording this to the effect of, "What if after you were U-turned?" you had to go complete the other side of the detour before you could use the U-turn again. So that would eliminate this idea of like, oh, well, I'm U-turn. Let me just U-turn the team behind me. Do we think that that's an, a, a proper way to fix things? Does that further complicate the problem? I just wanted to throw that out there for discussion. I mean, this ties back to what we were just talking about. It seems to me that procedurally, visiting the U-turn station is the last thing you do before you go to the clue box. That, that's how I remember from watching the episodes. So it seems to me that that's your opportunity to U-turn. You get the information, if any, that's on the board. And then based on that, decide what to do. Uh, and I don't see why that should be changed for a team that's been U-turned. That seems what we want. And, I, uh, you know, a lot of the rules and the changes and the, and the doohickeys in an amazing race, best case scenario, they should have a rubber banding effect, right? Like the mm-hmm. team that's out in front shouldn't get pushed farther. 
but rather teams that are closer behind should have an opportunity to catch up. I think what you're describing, like you can't deploy a U-turn on anyone else until you've done both sides of a detour. I think that takes a disadvantaged team and makes their position worse. Yep. I can see it. I can see it being good TV, like exactly one time where the team rolls up to the U-turn and is like, we got U-turned and then another team rolls up right behind them and they have to beg the other team to U-turn somebody else. That could be good TV once, but I don't think, I think it's just like getting U-turned is enough of a death sentence already without adding on to the top of it. Okay. All right. Any other feedback questions? Yeah, let, let's move into talking about the alliance just a tiny bit, because I do want to bring up something from Kalina, uh, specifically, especially to get Miles' thoughts on it, because you're, again, you're sort of like the fire dog uh, of this season, saying like you really enjoy everything. But I would love to get your thoughts on the alliance. I'm like the war dog of this season. Yeah, uh, yeah lots of math going on. Uh, but Kalina writes, any challenges. <laughs> Kalina writes, the core three is honestly feeling a bit mean spirited with how bitter they were that Gary and D'Angelo made it to the board first. However, I don't know if this is because I like Gary and D'Angelo and Iswar and Aparna more than I like the teams outside the Mind Five. Is this a common feeling or is it just me, parentheses, and my brother who is an avid NFL fan? So yeah, I mean, obviously we have the whole Mind Five institution and now we sort of have this inner core alliance. I mean, Miles, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, do you feel like teams like Gary and D'Angelo have been ostracized and that does that affect the way you, you like certain teams based on that behavior? You know, I'm going to invite everybody to consider snuggling up in the cozy casual hammock because I haven't I haven't been at all turned off by the Mind Five Alliance. You know, I I, I know I hear the feedback and people go, I can't believe, you know, how much they talk about the alliance. The alliance is ruining the show. It's like comments from season one of Survivor, right? Like we're back in you know summer (laughs) of 2000. I'm like, it's fine. You know, the teams are yes. Now, to be sure. They can share information. They can tell the word scramble to each other. I, would, I, I think that's that's pretty unusual, though. But it's it's fair play if that's what they want to do. If they want to like wait around, yeah. impair their own chances, and share information. Let me also add. Uh, here's how we know that Gary and D'Angelo have not been ostracized. Gary and D'Angelo don't know they've been ostracized. I don't think <laughs> yeah. you can ostracize and then the people don't know they've been ostracized. They're, I don't know. Ostracists, ostracists are known for sticking their head in the sand, Rob. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gary and D'Angelo think that they're ostracizing uh, Ishwar and Aparna. So that Gary and D'Angelo, by that nature, they, they, by, they are not ostracized. Yeah, I will add that I don't think it actually is that unusual for teams to share information and work together on this, even on this scale. I just think that this season it sticks out more because the show is hammering that point home. Mm-hmm. And I think we've heard from a lot of different people, like including a friend of the podcast, Corey Cool, who came on here and outlined for us all the times that other teams helped each other and how far they got on the backs of helping each other was kind of astonishing. So I would say that it's just the story that we're getting this season is the sole reason that we're bristling against the idea of alliances. I would also add that I think it's really hard for me to dislike a team on the level that I see some people disliking some of these teams. And it's really mind blowing to me. Like you have to be an actively like talks, person in the world like you have to be an actual bad person for me to have a problem with you being on the amazing race and i don't think it's happened that many times um 
And there have been certainly been, I would say, like 95 percent of every interaction I've had with an amazing racer has been positive and they're all great people who are really outgoing and friendly and nice and fun. And it really bothers me to see people like forming opinions. And, you know, every single person who's ever been on any reality show will say it, that you didn't see the, what really happened. You only saw a distilled version of it. That's not the real me. And to some degree, I'm buying it. It's true. Like, People are complex and nuanced tapestries of humanity. And I think it's really hard to see some of the vitriol that's been thrown at the Alliance this year. Like for, you know, how dare you, you have ruined the amazing race and you're awful and you're, I hate watching you on my television and come on, it's a, it's a show and it's a show you yourself would kill to be on. So maybe simmer down. Yeah. I would also say like, look, is it fantastic TV, depending on your point of view? Maybe not. It's good gameplay, maybe not so great TV, but I don't think that's necessarily the reason to go after people. Just like, I don't think you should, I don't know, watch Ghost Island and dig in on Wendell and Dominic for making the game boring. These people are, are doing what they need to do to win a million dollars and enjoy some world travel along the way. It might not be the way you would do it or the type of season you want to see, but I don't think that's any reason to personally attack what seems like all very nice people who just may have different approaches to to how they want to play the amazing race uh yeah i mean you you're telling me like the strong teams are in an alliance together there were other strong teams who are not part of the alliance but the teams have to run their own race i mean i think it's possible that had there not been an alliance we would have seen the standings you know turn out about the same are they sharing a lot of the story with us yes but they're telling the story of how this competition unfolded And this is what the teams chose to do. Will this be a story about how the Beard Brothers participated in the Alliance only to end up in third place? And they were like, oh, you know, we should have made a different choice. Well, that was the choice that they made. That's what actually happened. And I, I, yeah, I I think that people who are watching the show and getting mad at the contestants and seething and fuming and saying things on social media, just try this hammock. I warmed it up for you. I'll get out. (laughs) You can get in. It's a fun show. Hung and Chi, I love Hung and Chi so much. And I agree, they should have their own series. They do so many interesting things together. Uh, like the way that they do the challenges. You're going to tell me that, that that's a boring team? You're going to tell me that the boyfriends are boring? No, I don't buy it. Does the alliance make the outcome predictable? I didn't feel like this week was predictable. It seemed like the footballers were going to get left behind at the tiles despite the detour. In hindsight, is an episode predictable? Yeah, we've seen the people outside of the Alliance get eliminated. But when you're watching it, you don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that when you're watching it, you're you're unsure as to what's going to happen for yeah. much of the episode. Look, we got a great episode this week. Uh, the two double yes. episodes, yeah. I think, were probably... Uh, I, I think looking at the total arc of the season, I think that, that those might have been sort of like the low points in terms of the excitement of the Absolutely. season. But... This was fine. This was better than fine. Yeah. This was good, very good this week. And and to be clear, we're not saying like, oh, you know, you have to like this season or you're, you know, no, you're you're did. bad. I'm saying that you have to like this season. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm saying that you have totally have the right to feel bored by what's going on this season. That is absolutely understandable because again, good gameplay does not necessarily make good TV. I'd say stop your Twitter fingers though from adding these contestants and, and telling them how much they suck. Out Brent, Mike. Yeah, because it makes it doesn't make anybody's day 
in that regard. And we only have a couple of weeks left of this. So uh, before, you know, this goes away yeah. for possibly for a very, very long time. And enjoy it because I don't know when you get an amazing race again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah Matthew Angel Miles gets his, gets his drone to film some corporate retreats and put that as an amazing race season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all on ice also. Yeah, yeah, practice an attitude of gratitude. This is a fun, amazing race series. And who knows, like Robson, who knows when we're going to get another? Right, right. Complain, find something else to complain about. There's a lot. And, and Mike, <laughs> this was something that uh, we were talking about with Shannon on the guiding uh, new Survivor fans in the Netflix era. And sort of maybe this attitude comes from uh, parenting. But uh, if this isn't getting the job done for you, maybe you're not that hungry for the amazing race, okay? <laughs> or or we're having. <laughs> or you can go back and watch a previous season that does, you know, again, not at, that some seasons are not going to tickle everyone's fancy, and that's totally fine. Where I personally draw the line is like, you can have those feelings, just don't voice those feelings to contestants that mm-hmm. were on the season. Especially like, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I, and I, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day where they're like, well, I think Will and James are the villains of the season. And it took me a second to think like, yeah, I guess they are. I mean, the Leo and Alana stuff I think was the most villainous. And I think they're fine with like embracing the role. But then I look at last episode when they're like, man, oh, I, I love being in Cambodia. Like they're cheerfully saying at the mm-hmm. mat, like, I'm just so excited to check this off my list. And so I would not say they're like finger twirlingly, uh, villains that you might get even like as recent as last season. Uh, and so maybe that just shows again the, the different ways that we typify reality TV contestants, which again, is fine. Listen, everyone can subjectively enjoy the seasons that they want to or not enjoy the seasons that they want to. I just plead with people to not necessarily go after the contestants for the opinions you may have if, if they feel unwarranted, yeah. which they most likely are. I, I think the people that might be doing that are not the people that are listening to this podcast. Probably not because those people are probably adding us. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll see. I, I think if they don't really like The Amazing Race, I doubt they're listening to the second Amazing Race uh, recap of the same episode this week. All right. This time, they better be talking about how much they don't like the season. <laughs> That's right. You might not do it in the first one, but definitely in the second one. All right. Before we get to uh, talking about some secret scenes for this week, uh, let me go ahead and uh, thank a sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at uh, Mrs. Fields. And of course, uh, Mrs. Fields is uh, delivering the uh, most amazing cookies. Uh, Mrs. Fields is here to send some extra tasty holiday cheer. Uh, I got to try out the uh, Snowman Cookie Tower this week from Mrs. Fields. And uh, I get stuff and then I like to taunt my children of like, hey, <laughs> look what I got from Mrs. Fields. Look at my Snowman Cookie Tower. And my children think that Mrs. Fields is an actual person who has sent me a gift of that. Uh, who is who is this Mrs. Fields? Technically and, true, Rob. Yes, yes, she is a person, but the actual the actual lady uh, did not did not uh, single me out. Uh, but that that you know that I've uh, my children are convinced that my this is my friend Mrs. Fields who has sent me uh, a gift. But uh, my uh, children uh, cannot keep their hands off the Snowman Cookie Tower. It is a, a great gift, and they also have a great offer for our listeners. Save 20% off your first order when you use the promo code RHAP at MrsFields.com. Uh, we are spread apart from many of the people that we want to be with this holiday season, and you have to send a gift, and a, a great gift that is always going to go over are going to be cookies from Mrs. Fields. For over 40 years, Mrs. Fields has made fresh-baked gourmet treats that make you go, mmm... 
Uh, is that is that a, a is that a good sound, Mike? Did I do? Did I nail that? I feel like you needed to have more like salaciousness into it. Like this is the best thing you've tasted in quite some time. Yeah. So if you want to give it another read, please, How that'd be great. Mmm, these cookies are bomb. All right, you got the part, Rob. That's it. Can you do, can you come in Monday? Yes. Oh, can I try? Yeah. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you booked it, Sesame Street. That's that's, that's it. This is a backdoor Sesame Street pilot, and Miles, I think you figured it out. I'm just remembering the the scene in Young Frankenstein where they keep talking about who made a yummy sound. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Always delivered with passion, quality, and homemade deliciousness. That's how Mrs. Fields started. After all, choose from Mrs. Fields' huge selection of holiday gift baskets, cookie tins, and spread the season's greetings we all love most. Uh, the edible kind. Whoa. Our listeners get 20% off uh, site-wide promo code RHAP at MrsFields.com. Just click or tap the microphone at the top and enter promo code RHAP for 20% off your order. That's MrsFields.com. That's M-R-S. F-I-E-L-D-S dot com, promo code R-H-A-P. All right, let's talk about the secret scenes. Love All to right. talk about the secret scenes from The Amazing Race. You can eat cookies while you watch them. And let me tell you, times are tough right now, so you can take those Mrs. Fields cookies, open your jar of marshmallow fluff, spread a nice thick layer of the fluff on the cookie as you're eating it. That's self-care. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love it. That's also a very much like a brick and mortar type of thing you would see in like a tough as nails challenge. Oh, like yeah. Build, a, yeah. build a wall with cookies and marshmallow fluff. Marshmallow fluff is truly the spec mix of snacks. <laughs> no one needs to know that you're doing it. That's why they're secret scenes. <laughs> exactly. Well, fresh out of the oven, let's bring in some secret scenes. Now, admittedly, uh, these secret scenes this week are not necessarily on, on the funny and goofy side. Spoiler alert, there will what? not be any no D'Angelo and Gary secret scenes because they did not have a great leg, so they were not necessarily Ooh. in the spirits that we are used to. But there are a couple of things in here that, that I want to draw attention to. So let's stick with the Volley Bros here. Let's serve up a secret scene here. Uh, because there's a secret scene for uh, Madison and Riley called Steady Eddie when they're on the boat. And they sort of take about 30 seconds to talk about their approach to the race. And we spoke about this a bit on Wednesday, but I have a piece of feedback tied to this after the clip plays as to Madison and Riley's attitude about the amazing race and how it may not be as conducive to maybe more of the individualistic style that we're used to. Okay, here's Riley and Madison. Steady Eddie from YouTube. I think we got another roadblock ahead. We just want to survive. Yeah. Like, for us, if we push too hard for first, it, it has a recipe for disaster. Whereas you just steady, Eddie, like, don't push too hard. Like, things have played out well. France, India, like, and also, we got we could ask this guy to push it, but our, our motor broke down earlier. So instead of trying to, like, catch them right now, we're going to just go steady, Eddie, and so we don't get stuck in the middle of this river. All right, so you can stop it there, Rob. So I'm really intrigued by this. And maybe this is just due to like their Mahalo, Shaka Bro, like, you know, Hawaiian volleyball player attitudes. But just I would love to hear this from you specifically. Like, this feels like so anti Colin in terms of an attitude of like, you know what? Maybe more new Colin of like, hey, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. The more you try for first place, the less likely you are to achieve it. Just let the universe decide. Keep steady, Eddie, and eventually you'll probably find success. Well, you know, you know, Mike, I was about to come in here and say that this kinder, gentler approach to the race feels to me like a winner's edit. 
But now that I've heard it again, and now that I think about how they're approaching this, I'm prepared to say this is the anti-winners edit for Riley and Madison. Oh. Like having them portrayed as the whatever happens happens team yeah. is way less powerful than having a team in it that's going to go for what they want and they're going to reach for the brass ring. Yeah, I mean, I would go so far as to say I think Riley and Madison are going to hold the door open for another team, metaphorically mm-hmm. speaking. I think this U-turn is an example of that. And that's another reason why people were sort of decrying what Riley and Madison did of, you know, still wanting to stick with these stronger teams. And I think you brought this up really greatly on the podcast on Wednesday, Jess, that, yeah, it's it's a it's a bad decision if they want to get a better playing field for themselves. Uh, but this might have been the sign of this is why they end up losing is because they choose to go to the end. Again, sort of like a Ghost Island scenario, they choose to go to the end with the strongest teams, and surprise, surprise, they lose to those stronger teams. They also talked about earlier in the season about how even though they're competitive uh, volleyball players, it's been many, many years since they've won anything. (laughs) There's that. Yeah, so they have the attitude of like, yeah, like if we, I mean, I can imagine like that's something you want to settle into again. uh, It's not complacency, but it's more so just like an an attitude adjustment of like, hey, I'll let, I'll spike the ball. But, you know, if it gets me a point, that's great. If not, I'm going to go have a brewski and then uh, kick back for the next game. Like, it's a good attitude to take. It's just interesting that it sort of translates to the amazing race as well. Yeah. They want a trip to Norway. Yeah. Something. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like they said, they have like success for it, right? I think they've won the most legs out of either them or Will and James have won the most legs out of any team this season. So it's worked for them. I do want to bring in a piece of feedback on that note from Will from America, uh, who said, admittedly, this is less of a question and more of a frustration he has about the ideologies of the racers this season. In a secret scene last week, Riley and Madison said that they're just trying to make it to the final leg and have fun, while Gary and D'Angelo are the ones trying to win. Is it fair the Volley Bros are painting Gary and D'Angelo as these ruthless villains when arguably the Volley Bros have done the most to negatively impact other teams outside of their friend group? With convincing Kalen and Haley to yield Leo and Alana, then yielding Kalen and Haley, icing Gary out of the place-setting roadblock, then burning the U-turn board to ish- ensure Iswar and Aparna lose, Riley and Madison have played the most cutthroat game of anyone. Where's the justification for why what they're doing is okay, but what Gary and D'Angelo are doing isn't? Do Riley and Madison get the moral high ground because they're being strategic to serve their group of friends while Gary and D'Angelo are trying to win a million dollars? Now, there's a lot in there. But, you know, when I was talking with Aparna and Iswar in my exit interview, Aparna said, like, the Volley Bros are kind of shady. Uh, Oh! Yeah, so she she basically said that, like, you know, they'd always assumed there was going to be a a deal between the NFL and the Volley Bros, but she had felt like, much like Kaylin and Haley did, like, there was some sort of weird betrayal going on with them doing it, considering they were trying to present this front, at least, as like, yeah, we're just nice beach guys. We're not really going to do anything to harm you. And to Will's point, if you sort of list out the things that they've done, quote-unquote, on behalf of this, this core alliance, there is more blood on your their hands than you know they may put out here. Okay. And I think this is part of the frustration. I think I've seen people voicing on social media that there's a kind of a a kind of a pile on on Gary and D'Angelo in particular, and Iswar and Aparna to a lesser extent. The other teams are saying like they're not part of our group, and this is our group, and you really don't see the things happening that they claim are happening. Right. So you don't see like Gary and D'Angelo refusing to help other people. Like we see them doing it quite a bit. And it's very interesting to me that 
it isn't self-evident to us why you would exclude them from an alliance. Right. And we got like a little bit in the beginning of this episode that like there might be like a threat aspect to it, at least above Iswar and Aparna. They felt like they were they'd finished in first place before. But yeah, I agree, Jess, because we even talked about this a couple weeks ago that, yeah, there might have been stuff like grabbing two uh, auto rickshaws or like the whole thing with the sauerkraut. But we have seen instances of Gary and D'Angelo helping out as well. So maybe it's just a case of, of some something we're not necessarily seeing. I'm sure we'll we'll hear about it. But yeah, to your point, there's a little bit of incongruity in my opinion, where we sort of have this attitude of like, my God, D- Gary and D'Angelo are monsters when really it doesn't seem like they're doing much. And indeed, maybe this this inner alliance, it's tough for them to sort of like point fingers when four are kind of pointing right back at them with, with the stuff they're doing. A lot of the mean stuff Gary and D'Angelo do is to each other. That's, That's true. true. <laughs> maybe they just felt like they're just piling on of like, they won't, they won't remember it. They're always yelling at each other anyway. They'll just think it was another insult that they sent to each other. Yeah, yeah I mean, even Phil gets in on that. Yeah. They have the most internal conflict as well. Well, the other punching up. (laughs) Exactly. The secret scene, the other secret scene that I want to talk about is Miles, you mentioned uh, just the lovely, interesting life of Hung and Chi. So Hung, Hung has a background that I don't think we were privy to uh, during when we investigated her during her bio or really at any point in the race. Uh, She's a child of Vietnamese refugees. And so Hung goes in this, into a secret scene. She goes into a little bit of her personal history and her family history and why going to a country like Cambodia has reminded her so much of like where she came from and where she could have been maybe in another life. Okay. Here are Hung and Chi uh, in a flash sideways. And I would be doing the exact same thing. Yeah. So my parents are from Vietnam. And after the Vietnam War, they actually fled in a boat because my dad was part of the South race around the world like crazy Americans. Yep, and see the world in a different way and experience the world in a different way, a way that they never were able to. So anytime I come to Southeast Asia, it's very um, poignant and emotional because I can see an alternate life where this would be my life. And I would not have gone to college because there just would not be the ability to. Like in the States, you know, I still grew up very poor. But because we're in the States, there's the idea of scholarship and the idea of meritocracy opportunity. and opportunity 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting background on Hung. Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, like I said, n- not a lot of silliness and goofiness with the secret scenes this week, but I felt that needed to be shared uh, just because it's a really, I think, big facet to now looking at like who Hung is as a person. Yeah. I think it, it really does track and it, it speaks to, you know, some very frightening prospects and what her parents had to overcome yeah. to, to bring her family to the States. And I like that from her parents. I think that that's going to be like my signature sign off uh, for like when I'm um, saying goodbye, like, hey, don't get kidnapped, whatever you do. We love, good you too, we love you too much. Should should that be what Phil says to the racers on the mat from now on? Like, good luck, don't get kidnapped, go. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna it, it, I'm gonna be very nervous for you. I don't. I love you all so much. I don't want to let you go. Be careful out there. Don't get kidnapped. I hope that uh, in future seasons of reality shows, you know, when casts are going out to play Survivor, Amazing Race, and so on, we continue to see the same kind of diversity of people's race, backgrounds, families, and nationalities. I think we're going to hear more interesting stories from around the world. And I think we're, you know, uh, that's one of the many advantages to having uh, diverse casts is getting interesting stories from different families. Um, stories that you might not have heard before that might be unfamiliar to you, but, you know, it's relatable, right? We all love our children. We all don't want to be kidnapped uh, most of the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, like maybe for one afternoon if you came back safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, it would be th- that's another advantage to uh, uh, having uh, these kind of contestants, uh, many kinds of contestants on the show. Well, yeah, and I think some of my favorite storylines through Amazing Race over the years are those who have had international experiences in one reason or another and sort of like you know come to terms with that now granted this was not like hung going to vietnam and and sort of like facing that down but i even think you have something like not even from an ethnicity side but in season three when ian went to vietnam of terry and ian who had served there and sort of like him you know really facing that down and sort of you know revisiting that history a bit uh you know how however checkered it may be or some people on the race uh, especially in amazing race canada again to go back to back to that there are a lot of people who are not canadian born citizens there are people who have immigrated to canada that participate on canadian reality shows and sometimes they get the ability to, to you know go to those countries as well so those are rare opportunities but they're really to miles point like fantastic ways to plumb not only the personalities but personal stories as well that you may not hear from just your typical american born citizen Okay, uh, let's talk about some social media uh, from this week at the Amazing Race. Uh, Jess, where do you want to go first? Um, well, I'm going to go first to a poll that one of the racers put yes. up. Okay. Was it Leo? Um, no, actually, Leo weighed in on this subject as well. I think everybody had a lot of thoughts this week, but I'm going to, yeah, uh, this is... This is more, this is, has less of a catchy acronym than what we came up with for Leo's poll, but it's an interesting topic and the results kind of surprised me. Um, well, actually they do and they don't, but we'll get into it. Um, so at James Wallington says the amazing race has always been a social game, not only with your partner, but also with the other teams. As much as it is a show about travel, it's also about relationships. And then he has agree or disagree. And the results came in at, 74% agree and 26% disagree, which that seems a little high. Hmm. (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on how you see 
relationships? Because I guess it depends if you mean like inter team or intra team. Because uh, I would say, like, when I think relationships, I would more so think about like how you interact with your partner as a relationship, more so than I think the point that James is trying to make, which is like the way other teams interact with each other. Uh, so yeah, I guess I would sort of do like, I don't know if I can do like a half and half. Uh, so it's like, it, like, yes, I think it's just the travel is just as important as the partner's relationship to each other. Maybe not as important as their relationship to the other teams as well. Well, it's interesting, Mike. I think they've moved away from that. Yeah. I think there's been a lot less conflict intra-team than there has been inter-team as the show has moved into like every team is a discrete unit that's not two personalities in conflict with each other, but like two people with the same hair color wearing the same color. And that that to me, I think it has played up the relationship that that team has to the other teams. But my thought on that is that it is a component, but maybe I've just watched too much of the other reality shows that are out there. I think that one of the things that people perennially respond to about the amazing race is the fact that it is a show about travel. That's a little kinder and gentler than your survivors. Hmm. Uh, I would weigh in here. Good use of polling, bad use of polling. Uh, I think this is bad use of polling. I think that the question mm. is confusing. Um, I think that maybe, if anything, it should be uh, strongly agree, slightly agree, mm. yeah. neutral. You make it a gradient. Disagree. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, it's also, it's a statement that's hard to argue with because right. it's such a shades of gray situation because, yeah, the the statement on its face is mostly a true statement that you have to agree with but there's really i wouldn't put it that way i guess yes because who's arguing the point no the amazing race is a travel show (laughs) it's not about relationships uh 26.1 of response (laughs) they're screaming about that just like you are rob yeah there are no relationships yeah how about if show it's not that you have to make alliances or even make friends with any other teams, but if you only run the race in a bubble and don't even attempt to leverage relationships with the other teams, whether asking them for a favor when you're stuck or playing off of rivalries between other teams, you're not using all the assets afforded to you to win the competition. Yes, but you could still win. You could, yeah. Yeah, I think I think where the concern maybe more so comes from is like, yes, they're more so like they may be equal parts, but I think when it comes to the storytelling of this season, the relationships are now getting maybe more attention than the travel and maybe in not a way that's producing as stimulating television as maybe if everyone just focused on the tasks and focused on their own team dynamics. So I think it's also a bit of an interesting pulling in a way too, that like, it's sort of like an agree, but or a disagree. And in that it's also going to tie into your thoughts on specific feelings on those elements in this season and how they may or may not outweigh one another this time around. Hmm. Yeah. I will also say that if you have run the amazing race, my observation is that it really is for you about those relationships that you form. And there's, very few racers out there that got through the whole thing without forming some lifelong friendships. You know, these people are in each other's wedding parties and they stay very close and they've gone through something amazing together, but that's not always something that we, the viewers get to experience. Mm. 
that's a very good point yeah that it's sort of like they live through an experience that's very different than what we experience maybe more so than even like a survivor or a big brother which is another heavily edited product where they're sort of make they they have so much downtime i mean these they're spending 24 hours together as teammates and with other teams there are so many things that happen that we're not privy to and when the story is is more so about like who's going to be eliminated rather than like who are you hanging out with and and what are you doing in your free time to make you know lifelong bonds with that that can sort of be yet another disconnect between contestants and the audience I'm going to go now to um, Team NFL for a something that's a little bit sillier and a little bit less thought-provoking. Someone asked D'Angelo and Gary, did you know that Riley and Madison U-turned you? And D'Angelo's response was, no clue, but now that I see that, I'm pissed and they can go to hell. <laughs> I love that D'Angelo has now sort of like become the Ream Daily of the Amazing Race yep. 32. Dude, you know That's what? high praise. <laughs> Those guys are so lame. I uh, didn't. Weren't they at the mat at the same time? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they like they and they they were all there together when they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're like, great, okay, that's great. I mean, I think maybe this is D'Angelo being a bit uh, facetious because otherwise, yeah, I think D'Angelo. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think because uh, I think if that were the case, much like Aparna had strong words for D'Angelo, I think D'Angelo would have strong words for the Beard Bros as well. Had he not actually known that it happened until someone's like, "Oh yeah, they, you got you turned as well." Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think he seriously means that he's pissed and they can go to hell. Um, but I do, I do think there are probably more than a few people out there that read that and thought that he actually meant it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then moving on, um, we got some interesting uh we got some interesting reactions from aparna who um you don't say yeah she came in she was on the show coming in hot and she remained that hot for two solid years until this aired yeah Um, aparna is hot sorry i just had (laughs) hey um so fantastic yeah so she had to come in and explain why she was yelling mostly at at D'Angelo. And so she says, so many of you have asked why no anger at Gary. I was first annoyed at Gary too. But while we were waiting, Gary spent the whole time convincing me how Ishwar was going to get it before D'Angelo. Hard to hate a guy who's rooting for you. And then Gary replied, I was fully convinced because he actually saw the very beginning, which D kept missing. D actually got it made without you actually using the right wax thing. So I still don't know how he did it. Oh, interesting. So despite the edited footage showing that like D'Angelo saw the wax, apparently he never used it and somehow got a tile working. Apparently he never used it. I mean, this man is a miracle worker. Like they yeah. should they should really like put him in charge of like, I don't know, uh, like just just curing all the world's diseases, because if he's able to make that tile pop out without any sort of lubrication, I think he is a miracle man. Mike, we, 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 we said this the other night. We're gonna you say Greece. We're doing we're going with Greece. All right, we'll go with Greece. I also love Just this idea. Move it up real no, good. No, 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 Thank you, Miles. Uh, but I, I, I do love this idea that, like, whether intentional or not, Gary got Aparna off his back by being like, "Yeah, D'Angelo really sucks. I'm sorry, we're gonna get eliminated. So, like, don't be too mad at me. It's not my fault. We're we're going home anyway." Yeah, I mean, Gary and D'Angelo are such like a self deprecating team of like it's hard to sort of like uh, butt heads with them about that because they're, they're like they're like you're we're like we're gonna beat you guys, and then whoever's doing the job's like, "Yeah, I know. My partner is such a moron. You guys are gonna beat us." We stink. Yeah, it's a great deflection. Yeah, yeah. I also and, think the Gary Gary reclining Gary Klein 
evening, uh, <laughs> probably like put him in a really good posture to just like be like if, if he's if he's standing, you can kind of imagine like a Parna, you know, standing toe to toe with Gary looking up at his navel and, you know, shaking a fist and, and shouting at him. But if he's lying on his back the way he was for a lot of the challenge, I think it's, you know, he's uh, got like kind of the Dagwood thing, right? Like it's it's kind of <laughs> tough to uh, uh, to shout at a guy like that when he's eating a huge sandwich and lying back on the couch. It's very true. And I think on that note, I have to I have to relay this exchange that happened between Gary and D'Angelo because it was really the secret scene that we've been missing this week. Um, So D'Angelo says, I want to go on record and ask, was it okay for a partner to harass me at that challenge when you're not supposed to talk to the people doing it at Amazing Race CBS? Also, I don't want the smoke. And Gary's response you deserved everything you got and more. How could you you turn them like that? <laughs> and D'Angelo says, we are on the same team, so we you turned them. And Gary says, hey, you kept saying you you turned them. I was just going with it. Ha ha. Hmm. <laughs> oh, there's that, that, that typical Gary ha ha, so you know he really means it. Yeah. Now, is D'Angelo onto something that uh, I want to go on the record and ask, why was it okay for a partner to harass me at the challenge when you're not supposed to talk to people uh, doing it, uh, I guess that is uh, <laughs> probably. I mean, that's not. also that's also yeah, yeah that's uh, that's that very too. true. Yeah. Other practices as well. Um, <laughs> is that a thing? Are you not supposed to talk to the other teams? I think you're not supposed to interfere with people doing the roadblock. Um, but I think that's more in terms of you're not supposed to help them, which we talk about ad nauseum here. I and I think you are allowed to cheer for people. And I think you're allowed to trash talk them a little bit, but we yeah, I, see people giving generic advice, like just focus or, you know, take yeah. your time. Like that's really normal. And also it seems this is one of those rules that even if you're not technically supposed to communicate at all with the people, certainly not to be able to help them. If you're a producer and a Parna is berating D'Angelo, mm-hmm. you let her. Because yep. it's good TV. This is one of those rules where, like, Rob, you've said, like, oh, I bet if Boston Rob, like, stole an immunity idol out of somebody's backpack and looked in the camera and winked, the producers would be like, maybe we should let this slide. Yeah. This is good TV. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's rules, and then there's the impulse to make the show engaging. So those mm-hmm. things coexist on a continuum. Mm-hmm. Maybe, And also, maybe for all you know, like, insults could be D'Angelo's love language. So maybe in a way she <laughs> was encouraging him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, if given the relationship he has with his actual partner, this is a very valid theory. Okay. You're, you're, you think that maybe Aparna fueled him by berating him and it ended up having a perverse effect. Yeah, yeah. that's maybe true. Maybe he's like, oh, no, no, no. You just, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Let me just keep working through these tiles. Yeah. It's like John Oliver talking to Adam Driver. Like he's, he wants the abuse. It's good. Right. For him. Yeah. Right. And I think that there's like, he's heard his share of trash talk uh, in the NFL. I'm sure that Aparna is uh, not the worst thing that uh, he's ever heard. Fair. To rattle his and cage. Yeah. Actually, to that point, I want to jump back to a piece of uh, feedback really quick that we got. Uh, I, Ryan said, D'Angelo, your job in the NFL was literally watch the same play over and over from coaches and film study to look at every detail in order to memorize the play and perform it. I almost feel like this could be five hole adjacent. 
Rob is our resident NFL expert. Do you, do you, does that hold water? Is this like sort of a five holy task for D'Angelo considering watching game film was a part of his career? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think that's a stretch, uh, especially like, and, and I'm, I've not ever played football, but I think that sort of like as an offensive player, I, I think he's like remembering his playbook of like what he's supposed to be doing. I don't think he's necessarily like watching some sort of like uh i i just don't think it's um exactly the same thing you think gary watches game film lying down completely on his back yeah well i think that look i've been there as a jets fan of like this is not going how i want i'm going to go take a nap i i can't watch this yeah almost really didn't comfy hammock i'm telling you i recommend it yes okay all right miles that I'm under the impression that you have uh, a real treat for us here today. We'll find out. I'll ask at the end if it was a treat or not. I have <laughs> <Or> a trick. <laughs> uh, a tri- oh, yes, yeah, it's always Halloween all year round. Um, yeah, let's let's play a game. Uh, you know, it's been fun the uh, the wide range of games that have been played on the tarpits up until now, and yeah. I was like, oh, I would like to try to bring something that's a little uh, you know off the beaten track. Yes, and from what I understand, you have a game unlike anything else we've ever done in the history of Rap as a podcast. Uh, it makes me feel good to break new ground after more than ten years. Uh, it's uh, it's a privilege to be a part of it. So yeah, since we're here to honor and appreciate the amazing race, let's send you people on a scavenger hunt around your home. Okay. Uh, Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to announce a category and also a letter of the alphabet. You will have one minute to bring me an object that fits in that category and starts with that letter. And uh, so this is going to be, uh, I'll say with, with three players, I, I'm still going to enforce this is, this game is a, this is a folk game that we've been playing a lot over zoom uh, called scavengories. What that means is the categories rules apply. If you bring back the same item as someone else, you will both get zero points. Oh. So you're going to want to try to think a little outside of the box in addition to everything else that I'm giving you to do. This is a test to see how much common like house products we have. How much, yes, how, how much you're on the same wavelength as each other. And I will also say that there are bonus points available for alliteration. Here's what I mean by that. If I give you the category of edible items and the starting letter of B, if you bring me back a banana, you get one point as long as nobody else picks a banana. But if you bring me a uh, if you bring me brown bread, you'll get two points. And if you bring me Boston baked beans, you'll get three points. So there are a lot of points available for alliterative items. Okay. Um, let me just get a sense of the geography of uh, your house. You know, I'm upstairs, and uh, but you know, uh, that uh, there's a set of stairs, a flight of stairs I may have to traverse. Uh, Mike or Jess, you have stairs that. Uh, okay, be please be careful. Don't get yeah. kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to admit here, I might be at a bit of a handicap because uh, my son is currently sleeping in the room across from us, so I am not going to, for the sake of my marriage, dare venture so outside smart. the door of my so office. Smart. Yeah. Luckily, this room has sort of become like a room of requirement for all of our odds and ends from our move so my hope is i can find some treasures in here yeah okay uh yeah that seems fair yeah definitely don't hurt yourself and don't wake up uh, listen i've got some experience wait, wait, not waking up yeah. a little asher yeah i've got an asher at home too um <laughs> 
All right. So, well, it'd be interesting to see if you've got anything in your house that fits this category. So here we go. These are categories that are at least are you intended say like to- on, on your market set go, or are we just hearing yes. it and then running for it? Uh, yeah. So your one minute begins when I tell you the starting letter and I have a random letter generator here. Although if I don't like the random letter, I'll give you a different Thank one. You. I'm not going to give you an X or a Q or a Z. That's, that's not, that wouldn't be good content. Okay. So you'll have one minute from the time that I give you the starting letter and I'm going to get my timer all oh, primed up and ready here. Object sort of uh, out of the range of our camera. Oh, don't reveal until, 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 don't reveal until you're called upon. Yep. Got okay. It. Okay. So your first category in honor of the gardening challenge uh, that was part of the detour, uh, which I suppose if Gary had done that one, would he have become Gary Hawkins because he was landscaping? <laughs> Perhaps not. Um, well, and he was a football but, player. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Your <laughs> no, first category is. <laughs> nope. I'm a landscaper. Gary. <laughs> All right. Your first category, something that grows in the earth. Something that grows in the earth and your starting letter is A. Something that grows in the earth, your starting letter is A. You have one minute. Go. Now, while the players are away from their desks, I have invited an opportunity for a minute of dead air. But don't worry. We'll keep it going, listener, provided that this stays in. Who knows? It may get cut completely. But if it doesn't, use this opportunity to... Take a deep breath right where you are. It's a stressful time to be a person. And just taking a deep breath every once in a while, or even more than one, can be a great way to relax and let your body know that you hear it. And you're here and you're a person and you're, you're going to be okay. All right. Mike is the first one back. I don't know what kind of produce fruit veg or herbs he might have mike is the first one back rob is here jess is still yeah rob's not so easy oh and jess back with three two one just under one minute amazing let's see if the contestants brought anything back i'm gonna go with uh, in in the in the order that they came back mike were you able to find a thing in your room that grows in the earth and starts like with letter a? yeah um okay it's interesting you start with me because this might be the biggest stretch of the entire game. I'm going to put that out right now. Um, so I believe back in the day, uh, many Mesoamerican cultures utilized uh, things from the earth to create dyes uh, and, and pigments. <laughs> so for my A, I brought acrylic paint. Acrylic paint. <laughs> Acrylic paint, the well-known harvest. Uh, I think that, yeah, the autumn just came and all the acrylic paint uh, crops uh, that were uh, uh, reaped and sowed. Uh, I, I cannot approve of acrylic paint Damn. as an item that grows. I tried. Sorry. I tried. I tried so hard. There's no greener. Well, that's what we want. It's more fun if you fail. Not saying that you failed. Just no, of course. Then, do, then get fun. ready. This is going to be a lot of fun then. Uh, Rob, do you have something that grows in yes. the earth that starts with the letter A? Otev, I, I brought back ashwagandha. And what is ashwagandha? It is uh, a herb that... Uh, <laughs> it's an herb! Uh, that Nicole says is uh, a, I believe is a plant root. You might have to Google. But I think hey, that, look- I think this is good. 
It grows in the earth. It's ashwagandha. It's a root. I'm going to give you a point for it. Okay. Jess, do you have something that grows in the earth and starts with the letter A? Well, this is this was tough for me because I got home two days ago. My fridge is not stocked. Uh, I've been out of the house for 10 months. But thankfully, my sister-in-law came into the apartment and set up some, like cleaned it up for me and set up a vase of flowers that included asters. Asters grow in the earth. Jess, you get a point. Nicely done. Are we sure? Are we sure uh, we don't want to loop back to the possibility of me getting a point for acrylic paint, uh, which is fashioned from elements from the earth and at some point in time? I'm just wondering about what what do you plant if you want acrylic paint to grow in your garden? Anything. Anything and everything. That's it's it can cover so many, so many swaths of, of herbs and plants. Mike, I think it's mineral, not vegetable. <laughs> yeah well the scoring is is complex let me update my complicated spreadsheet i may have to get back to you uh, as to whether or not i can give you a point you. for acrylic paint that grows in the earth could be could be a long referral process right. uh let's try this with another category if you think mike should have gotten the point you can uh, uh tweet at miles and I. Uh, oh. hashtag paint it bloom <laughs> <laughs> oh dear i didn't know i was signing up for this uh <laughs> Uh, okay, how about uh, in honor of the U-turn, uh, I want you to bring me something that you can turn. Something that you can turn, and your starting letter is C. You have one minute. Good luck. And the contestants, with thoughtful frowns on their faces, are stepping carefully out of frame. Now, if you did... Take a deep breath. Good for you. If you didn't, why, it's not too late. You can take a deep cleansing breath now. Yeah. Oh, Jess is the first back to the post, feeling pretty sure that she's got something that you turn. It starts with a letter C. Could be an exciting prospect. What does it turn uh, oh, I just thought of a good one that everybody's got, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. C being the starting letter here. Now, there's only 15 seconds left before Rob and Mike come back. But since they're not here yet, I can tell you that there's no way in the world that I'm going to give Mike a point for acrylic paint. It doesn't grow in the earth. And now Jess is here and Rob and Mike are out of time. So uh, are they disqualified? Well, I'm a kindly game master. I, I like to give out more points when possible. Jess, uh, how do you feel about your chances in, in this game overall and in this round in particular? I decided to stop overthinking it. Hey, now that's a great idea. Since we're here in, we're here in the comfy casual hammock, we don't overthink things. We just we relax, we have a good time, and we appreciate the good times while we can. Okay, everybody's back. Let's go in the reverse order this time. Jess, were you able to find something that you can turn that yes. starts with the letter C? So I have here this water bottle, this stainless steel water bottle. It has a cap on it that can be turned to... You do have a cap. The cap. Now, I have to ask, is it safe to say, is that a canteen cap? Yes. No, no, no. No, no encouraging, okay? <laughs> well, it looks like a canteen cap to me. That's two points for Jess. Nice. That is a real stretch. Uh, all right. Well, Rob, you had a chance to stretch and hopefully go up and down the stairs safely. I, did I you find something? 
for this one. Uh, oh, good. So uh, what I have here, a camera. And Ooh. of course, uh, that you can see that I, I am uh, adjusting the focus here on the lens uh, by turning. So, uh, actually, this is a Canon camera also. Two points for Rob. Ooh. That's Rob just right. rang the bell twice. <laughs> <laughs> Two points for Rob. Mike, what have you got for us? Something you turn that starts with C? Well, I've got a nice bottle of acrylic paint. Uh, no. <laughs> I indeed have... I have another cap as well, but this is a cap to a can of compressed air. Uh, oh, a compressed air air can cap. Can I see you turn that cap? cap to the compressed it, air? It is. And it's also screwed to activate and screwed to turn off. All right. I'm going to give that three points for the compressed air can up. cap. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a tie. Three contestants with three points each. This could be the rubber match right here. I'm going to give you one more of these. Three is a magic number. I feel like leave the people wanting more. And for this one, because of the nature of it, uh, we're going to eliminate the starting letter uh, characteristic, and you should, you'll soon see why. In honor of the Travelocity roaming gnome, which made an appearance in the show, which was so fun to see, and the contestants. Mm-hmm. like that, That's what made me say, like, you know, reality TV viewers are always going to find something to gripe about, but this was jolly fun, and the gnome was there to drive it home, to prove <laughs> it. So... Uh, in honor of the gnome, which starts with a silent G, I want you to bring me an item that contains a silent letter. It doesn't matter what letter your item starts with. An item that begins with a silent letter. You have one minute. Go! Now, since we have some time together once more, I'm not going to encourage you to take a deep breath, although you certainly may. I'm going to share with you a gnome palindrome. Palindrome is... You probably already know something that reads the same forward and backwards, such as level or taco cat or a butt tuba. Uh, I wrote a palindrome once that involves the word gnome. My palindrome is raft on sail, O gnome, Mongolia's not far. That's right. Raft on sail, O gnome, Mongolia's not far. Now I know what you're thinking. How can the gnome be rafting when Mongolia is a landlocked country? Well, that's a reasonable question, listener. Don't forget about the Yellow River. All right, Jessica is here. Mike is here. Rob's just a few seconds behind. I'm not enforcing the time penalty. It's just a time for me to have a little quiet time. Rob pulling down the stairs without that noise? I think that was me, actually. (laughs) Yep, I upset a bucket on my way back to my seat. Oh, is that bonus points? <laughs> upset the apple cart and the acrylic paint cart, those two popular fall harvest items. Yeah, it was a plastic tub full of books. So that'll be fun after the podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, definitely uh, turning your homes into chaos and pandemonium uh, is part of the fun for me. Yeah. Uh, all right. And our, our host is back. The man of the hour, Rob, is here. So uh, let's see. Is there anybody who would like to go first with their item that ha- contains a silent letter? I feel like Rob hasn't gone first yet in a round. Yeah. Um, so I, I brought back uh, Otev uh, this um, uh, megaphone. You brought a megaphone. Or silent yes. E, yeah. Yeah, silent oh, sure. a, a silent P. Mm. 
uh, in megaphone. I think that the P and the H together make the first sound in megaphone. <laughs> that that uh, is there a P sound? But there's no H sound. <laughs> well, I, I think that you you pronounce the P when you pronounce the phone. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> This is a dirty look. <laughs> yeah. Silent in megaphone. You're serving some realness, Rob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I cannot give a point to megaphone for containing a silent P. But it does have a silent E at the end, so you get a yes. point for that. Well, <laughs> you backed your way into that yeah. one, Rob. I, I, I don't want your pity E. You don't have my pity E. Wait, you you're going to give up the e. point? Uh, yeah. Okay. You can have a point. My megaphone. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, uh, do you have an item with a silent letter? Well, it's rather itchy because I do believe it's real burlap, but I have a, uh, a backpack, also known as a satchel, also known as a knapsack. A knapsack with a silent K at the beginning and a voiced one at the end. You get a point. And Jess, Jessica, do you have an item with a silent letter? Yes, I do. I have Wreck-It Ralph. Or Wreck-It Ralph. You have Wreck-It Ralph with a silent W. You get a point. And that means at the end of three rounds, we have a three-way tie where all the contestants have four points. Now, who could have foreseen that we would have a tie? You did. Well, I did, yeah. I do have a tiebreaker option for you. Uh, I emailed a piece of audio uh, at about 440 uh, and this would probably be the time to play it. And the panelists have not heard this piece of audio yet. Okay. Uh, any other setup for this? Uh, no, this is, this is the tie break. Uh, I anticipated because, because when we did uh, uh, um, the Rahat Pyramid and I didn't have a tiebreaker ready, mm-hmm. uh, I have a tiebreak ready now. Okay. All right. Here we go. So here is. Oh, you will not need to leave, you will not need to leave your seats for this tiebreak. Okay. All right. Here's Miles' tiebreaker. Hi there. I heard you need a tiebreaker. Well, you've got the right person. This is Laurel from Survivor Ghost Island. Whoa. And the tiebreak is whoever can come the closest to correctly guessing the weight in pounds of the Liberty Bell. Hi, Mike, Jessica, and Rob. Hey, everyone. Hope you have a nice holiday. Bye-bye. Wow. Oh, God, I love this so much. <laughs> is there a tie for the Liberty Bell? I asked Laurel if she'd be kind enough to prepare a tiebreaker for us, but I thought that since she was just doing it out of the goodness of her heart, I would let her choose the tiebreak, okay, whatever she wanted, and choice. that is what okay, she selected. <laughs> Wait, the Liberty Bell. And is this- I, was, I was as surprised as you were. I also didn't know we were going to talk about Ghost Island so much in this podcast, but I did know that I had a Laurel tiebreak ready. That is perfect. Mm-hmm. This is incredible. Big, big shout out to Laurel. So oh my God. For her. All right. So, uh, Rob, what is your guess? I guess everybody uh, lock in your, your guess. For I don't have anything to write book. with. Okay, you can uh, in your well, head. That, well, I, I wrote mine down, Justin. You can go first. Uh, Mike, you, you have your, your acrylic paints nearby. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, start my painting if you'd like to go first, mm-hmm. Jess. Jess, what is your guess for the weight of the Liberty Bell? Now, pounds, is, please. Is this Price is Right rules? Nope, I'm not going to do close without going over. If one okay, person good. guesses the correct answer minus one and the other person guesses the correct answer plus, well, you know what I mean? Not Price is Right. Closest, full stop. Okay. So I feel like I've seen the Liberty Bell. I know approximately how big it is, but that doesn't help me know how much it weighs. I'm going to guess 652 pounds. Six, five, two. Okay, Mike, what did you paint on your wall? 
Uh, so let's see. Let me look at my new mural. Uh, if my goal was to not make my wife angry with me. I think that has been broken now with the giant number painted on our wall that reads 775. Okay. 775. Rob, what did you write down on a normal piece of paper? I took the over. Uh, may- maybe I thought that there was uh, some uh, symbolism here. I said uh, 1,776 pounds. Uh, that's a fun guess. That's a fun tie-in guess. And uh, it is the winning guess because the weight of the Liberty Bell, which I looked up after getting a voice memo from Laurel, is 2,080 pounds. Wow. wow. I, I was way over. I thought I was Holy moly. Like, yeah, I, I thought... thought I was about to be mocked. Like, you idiot. You thought that P is silent and the Liberty <laughs> Bell is... Is 1,700 pounds, you moron? Now, don't worry well, the- about it, Rob. Whenever somebody gets a piece of trivia wrong on this podcast, you're not the one that hears about it. It's always me. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rob, you are the winner of the Scavengory's game with the Liberty Bell tiebreak question. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, it makes sense that you knew the bell the best. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's we right in his wheelhouse. in Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. And did you happen to pick up the Liberty Bell while you were there and be like, I think this is a I almost twenty one hundred pounds? It. I know Stephen Fishback yeah. uh, went to go see it, and I think somebody uh, was going to lick it. Oh, uh, was it Stephen? I don't believe so. That does not. That's a, that's a joke from an old sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, but that uh, that was uh, a great job. We all have to now mm-hmm. listen to the podcast to find out what Miles was talking about when we were running around. <laughs> Uh, I was sharing a you lot of my favorite conspiracy right? theories. Yeah. No, no. Right. Thank no. you, Miles. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, if, if, if that was me doing this part, then yeah, you'd have to do a lot of editing after the fact. But luckily, We'd at least Miles, listen to it back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. If you don't like it, you can just replace it with some thrilling music, some circus music or something. Benny Hill theme. Oh yeah, no. Uh, please steal drum, uh, please. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a lot more work for you though. Uh, not really. <laughs> no. All right. Now I don't know if we're going to run out of time, but I I do have a second game, so yes. we don't have to. We, if, is, yeah, no, no, no. is it a quick game? Not particularly. No, maybe I should save it for another time. Uh, well, you tease the audience. Uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I've got nowhere to go. I've painted myself in a corner, quite literally. So I'm, uh, I'm well, ready to I'll go. Try, I'll, we'll try our best to make it quick. So Jessica will know what I'm talking about about the online trivia competition Learned League, where the contestants yes. have to answer. Mike's in six, that. Did, oh, Mike is in the Learned League? Back, oh, back, well, in, the, back in the day, I was, yeah. I have prepared a six-question Learned League-style quiz, which I am calling Learned Leg, uh, with general <laughs> trivia questions that is peripherally related to today, this episode, but also kind of not at all. I was thinking that we would isolate Jess, have her answer questions and assign points, and have Rob and Mike be a team, collaborate on answers and assign <laughs> points, and we would find That's out fair. the winner. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> that seem okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so Jess, I'm going to email I'm going to add you to this Google Doc. There are six trivia questions. You know how this works. Okay. Um, I think that you should take out your earbuds uh, okay. and when you're done answering and assigning points, just wave to us or you can put the earbuds back in. And I will work with Rob and Mike and it's, you know, they're they're uh, trivia questions and you'll assign points. I'll explain since Rob's not hasn't done learned I'll explain how the points work although Mike knows. So yeah. Uh, did you get the uh, document that I shared? Yep, I got it. I will take my earbuds out and answer the questions. So the way this works is you're going to try to give correct answers to these six trivia questions, and you're also going to assign points to them. 
The points are how many points Jess gets right if she answers the question correctly. So you're going to take a question you think she's likely to get right and make that worth zero points. A question you think she is almost certainly not going to get, you would assign three points. And then you also get two twos and two ones. So um, uh, basically, you, you, uh, uh, if, if that what sort if of makes sense, so, right. then she would get the maximum possible score. Okay. She's going to be assigning points to you as well. So it's yeah. three, three twos and a one? Uh, it's a zero, a three, two ones, and two twos. Okay. Two, so one at each end and then two in the other ones. Yep. Two ones and two twos. Okay. So we're basically trying to figure out, essentially, we want to give the low scores to questions we think she'll get and the high scores to questions we don't think she'll get. Okay. That is correct. Uh, Mike. I'm not going to worry about the numbering. Uh, I'll just worry about if I think that Jess is going to know it or not. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then we can... All right. That sounds good. Yes. I'll, I'll do the translation for us. And you will also need to try to answer the questions correctly yourselves. That's the hard part. Mm. It really is. These are Learned League style questions and they are not easy. Mm. I mean, I don't think they're easy, but we'll see. All right. Question one. The tiny island nation of Antigua and Barbuda in the West Indies has as its capital city, St. John's, with a population of about 22,000. What Canadian province, which also contains an and linking two place names, also has a capital city named St. John's, with a population nearly five times greater? All right. Um, Mike, I don't even really understand what the question is asking. So We're basically, It's basically what Canadian province has a capital of St. John's. Okay. And has the and like, or, or can we talk out loud? It's just already locked in. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jess, Jess isn't is, listening right now. Yeah, okay. she's got her earbuds out. So uh, yeah, you're supposed to talk to each other in teams. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, there's a there's a Canadian province. Is it like Newfoundland that has like the word? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, I think St. John. Yeah, I think St. John's Newfoundland. I think that's that's the way to go. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that Jess certainly knows this. I mean, listen, she's Miss Amazing Race Canada. I think she's got this one. That's, I think this we is can, Amazing Race Canada, Mike. I apologize. No offense to Mister Amazing Race Canada. Uh, I, I think I think we should give this one a zero. Zero. Because I think at the end a, you can go you can go back and revise once you've heard all the questions. Okay. And also, I want to encourage the listeners after I read the question, you can pause and puzzle it out yourself before you listen to Rob and Mike make a mess of it. Um, all right. So for question one, are you what is the answer you're submitting? We are submitting Newfoundland. Okay. Uh, question two, uh, what is the Yiddish word for standing around while talking and making wisecracks, particularly when somebody else is trying to play a game and you may be deriding their performance, trying to get in their head or offering unwanted asked, uh, offering unasked for commentary or strategy. All right, Mike. Oh no, this is why Rob, this should have been for Robin and Kiva need a podcast. Oh, all right, I've got to think on this one. Uh, say, say it one more time. Yeah. What is the Yiddish word for standing around while talking and making wisecracks, particularly when somebody else is trying to play a game and you may be deriding their performance, trying to get in their head or offering unasked for commentary or strategy? Do you have an idea, Mike? So I want to say, like, I know Kvetch is usually something along the lines of like, you know, uh, complaining and whining yes, yes. D'Angelo style, but I don't know if that also applies to commentary. Uh, what's kibitzing? Kibitzing. I want to say 
Yeah, kibitzing might be something similar. You know what? The more I think about it, I think it might be kibitz. I think it's I think it's kibitz instead of fetch. That's that's what I'm gonna go with right now. I'm just going back to like my minimal Hebrew school trading. Slumdog millionaire, mm-hmm. save me now. I, I'm gonna say kibitz. I, I think it's kibitz. Okay. Very good. Now, again, okay. once you've heard all questions, it might be at that time you might, I can help remind you of the questions that might be, you know, when you decide how to assign the points, uh, because you can, like, if, if there's a question later that you want to move the zero around or whatever. But right now, question two, what do you want to assign Jess? Do you think she's likely to get it? Rob, what do you think her level of Judaism uh, is? Yeah, I think she might know sort of like the uh, um, origin of some words, but I don't feel like very strongly that she would know this one. Can we like put like a two as a placeholder right now? Okay. Yes, you can. This is intense. It's question. Intense yeah, it's an intense game. And speaking of intense, question three. This is inspired by Aparna. With the Carolina Reaper in its topmost position, what is the name of the scale used to identify the spiciness of peppers? Oh, that's the Schofield scale, I believe. That sounds familiar. I think Jess would definitely know that. Yeah, I think that that we might have to give that one the zero, but I think we're going to give it a low. We can put the one in there for now. Very good. Okay. Question four. What form of artistic decoration common in Islamic art and often describing a single pattern that is tiled or repeated seamlessly on a surface is also the name of the ballet dancing beanie baby lamb. The ballet dancing beanie baby lamb. Okay, so let's reverse engineer this. Beanie babies were popular in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So was cloning. Could the doll be named Dolly? Hmm. Um... Can you read the, the artist portion of the question? Oh, you can read the whole question one more I, time, Miles. I don't Miles. know what Beanie Babies are named, Mike. So I that uh, I'm not going to be much use uh, for this question for like many things. What form of artistic decoration common in Islamic art and often describing a single pattern that is tiled or repeated seamlessly on a surface is also the name of the ballet dancing Beanie Baby Lamb? Yes, it's probably not Dolly then. Yeah. Uh uh, I mean, I don't know about an art style that uses repeating tile patterns. Can't say I studied that while I was kibitzing around. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Rob. Do you have any guess whatsoever? What's mosaic? Maybe uh, mosaic might be the best guess I have. Mm-hmm. And then from that capacity, that might be an easy one that Jess might go for as but well. Would that be the name of the Beanie Baby Lamb? Does that make it? I would not yeah. be surprised if it was named Mosaic. So we're going to go with Mosaic. How many points do you think we should we should attribute here, Rob? Um, well, does it matter if uh, Jess, like, uh, is there like a penalty if we're wrong and she's right and we guess that she's, that I feel like this is the hardest question so far. Okay, so if you, I mean, we could put the full three on it right now. Oh, and just, then... um, just knows design. She may well know uh, the answer to this pretty easily. And I feel like if, if it is indeed Mosaic, then there's a chance that like she might just go with it the same way that we did, you know, mm-hmm. like what's like what's natural there. Yeah. Okay. Whatever you say. Let's let's leave it blank and then maybe because we have what two questions left after this. Yep, that's right. Are you should I read question five? Yes. Please. Yes. Question five. In the parlance of the National Puzzlers League, 
A phonetic reversal describes a relationship between two words or phrases such that one is the other pronounced backwards, regardless of spelling, such as poke and cope. Mm, Okay. In this week's episode of The Amazing Race, a one-word clue box location is a phonetic reversal for the second part of a two-word place name the teams visited in this same episode. What is that two-word place name? Okay. Oh, okay. Say just what? Say one the, <laughs> you don't need to read the, the phonetic reversal part again. Uh, could you just say that, uh, what is the question then? A one-word clue box location is a phonetic reversal of the second word in a two-word name of a place that the teams visited in this same episode. Okay, uh, what was the name of the, the temple? Uh, Angkor Tom, I want to say. Tem um, or whatever. What? Well, Angkor Wat was where they went in Survivor. Oh, that wasn't where they went on this? No, they went to a different temple. Okay. I want to say, so they went to, they went to a temple and they saw a monk. Am I I'm trying to remember my notes from The Amazing Race, Miles? That's cheating. Uh, under Learned League rules, that would be cheating. Okay, then okay. all right. Then all right. I so I'm trying not. to think. Okay. So they went to the monks. They went to like the, the floor place. So it's the phonetic reversal of a two-word place that they went to. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Uh, God, where else did they go? And 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 then... Uh, and and so the second word of the place that they went to is the one word location of a clue box. All right, so phonetically reversed. Okay, yeah. so what? So let's maybe we could uh, reverse engineer. Uh, where was the clue box? Yeah. Okay. So the clue box was at the Tuk Tuks. There was a clue box uh, with the monks. Uh, there was the clue box uh, at the, like the the tile place. I think it was like a handicraft or something. Hmm. I think that might be it. Because <laughs> I guess do do detours count as as a clue box? Hmm. So in that case, maybe farmer fish could be an easy one to go for. Hmm. Well, I mean, do the reverse en- engineering or the re- reverse pronunciation of either of those? Uh, I think we're looking for. Like a uh, a location, though. I don't think it's like the name of the detour. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so one word location of a clue box. Uh, was it on a uh a w- w- like a boat or like what was the name of like what they were the the ship like the uh thing in the water that they were on? Yeah, I think it was just like a floating temple. Um. By the way, we're giving this one the three, right? We have to give this one the three. Uh, sure. This this you is by far so. the hardest yeah, question. Yeah. This is by far the hardest question we've got. Yeah, so right, maybe we'll come back to it. Okay. All right. What's the last, right, question? Well, yeah. well, last question. question? And this is current events. Last night, December 5th, David Lander died from multiple sclerosis at age 73. He was part of a television duo whose title characters presented a 1979 record, now a collector's item entitled Names of the Two Characters Present Blank and the Blank Tones. Tones, T-O-N-E-S. The guitarist on the record was Christopher Guest, who performed under the stage name Nigel Tufnell, although the record precedes the film This Is Spinal Tap. Fill in the two blanks. Oh, 
boy. All right, so we have to study our Christopher Guest history as to who came before Spinal Tap. Uh, well, it's uh, uh, Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael McKean. <laughs> right. Um, Jess knows Blank. music pretty well. Uh, yeah, but I don't well. think she knows parody music that well. Hmm. Maybe, Sweet well, I think... Tones. Well, it's not, it's not anything to do with Laverne and Shirley. Uh, I think that... Because I don't what, think that's from... The- what, what, what was the question again one more time, Miles? Just the just last part? Yeah, the record that they made was these two characters present blank and the blank tones. Is it the so same word in the, the blank? Two blanks. No, it's two different words. Could it be... Because I believe the character's name Nigel Tufton. Could it be Nigel and the Tough Tones? I feel like that's stupid. I feel like that makes sense. Maybe it's Nig- Lenny and Squiggy present Nigel in the Tough Tones. What do you think, Rob? Uh, sound, sounds good to me. Um, All right, so we'll go with that. How are, many points? Just to go back to um, the, the the question about the, the reverse uh, pronunciation, what did you say was the second word of the te- of the temple? Encore uh, Tom. T, I think it's like T-H-E-M or T-H-O-M. Okay, T-O-M. Uh is it a moat? Was there? Was that a pl- place where there was a uh, a clue box? I feel like that's. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's the closest we're going to get to it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll go with that. Um, but I think we can give one point to the the Nigel and the possible tough tones one because I think that's. Um, was there anything I think that passed on? No, I think that was the only one. Okay, uh, but I think we sh- I think we should give that one the three points because that is right. incredibly difficult from my perspective. Okay, all right. Should we bring Jess back? Yeah, Miles, do you want to review real quick just so we? Yeah. You have submitted for question one. You submitted the answer Newfoundland and assigned Jess zero points. Mm-hmm. Question two, you said Kibitz and assigned two points. Question three, you said Schofeld and assigned one point. Mm-hmm. Question I think it's, four, I think it's Scoville. I want to say maybe I, I was mispronouncing it before. I think it's Scoville. I don't know why when I came back around for some reason that that came to mind. But yeah, if we can amend that. Yep, Scoville one point. Question four, you said the Beanie Baby was named Mosaic for two points. Question three, you said Moat and assigned it three points. And question six, you said Nigel and the Tough Tones and assigned it one point. How's that sound, Rob? Sounds great. All right. All right. Let's okay. try it. Let's. All right. Uh, Jess yes. wants to be texted yeah. when it's. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, I think he's coming back. Hello. All right. Hi. I wasn't expecting you to fill in the answers on the Google Doc, but it makes perfect sense that you did. I didn't give okay. this, you know, a huge amount of thought. And also for anyone listening out there, if there are errors in my questions or if the questions are bad, I'm very sorry. Um, all right. So, yeah, let's, uh, you know. <laughs> I, you also, know, you have to complain what, what about is? everything. <laughs> yeah. We're just relaxing the hammock. You might appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, I, I will your say. Microphone with a P. I will say it was very fun to watch the two of you answer the questions without any sound on. So I could only guess at what you were saying. At one point, Mike appeared to be losing his entire mind. So I'm going to be excited to listen back to that. Yeah. I mean, I I hope you can assume uh, what what question that was about. Yes, even if uh, only if, if the three of you listen to this podcast to hear what happened while you're away from the computer or what Rob and Mike talked about while Jessica was in isolation. That'll that'll be entertaining. If we're keeping ourselves entertained, that's probably a good sign, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's it's very rare that there's it's very rare that i'm on a podcast and i don't know what's going on for a large chunk of it and we'll have to go back and listen to it yep uh okay not unheard of (laughs) not unheard of question one uh the uh robin mike submitted the answer newfoundland which was partly correct Jessica submitted Newfoundland and Labrador, which is yeah. the correct answer. Or as John Montgomery puts it, Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so Jess, uh, Rob and Mike assigned one point to Jess for that. So Jess gets one point for answering question one correctly. Uh, Rob and Mike uh, get zero for not answering it correctly. Oh, boy. Question I, two. I think we'll win if we just get one question right, Rob, if I'm being honest. We just had our own side goal here. Yeah. Jessica submitted the answer kibbutzing. Rob and Mike submitted the answer kibitz. Kibitz yeah, is the correct that's answer. That's what I meant. Hey, mm-hmm. Jeopardy rules, if you could pronounce it the way, like spelling should not count. Learned league rules, two different Yiddish words. There are no vowels in Hebrew. Oh, uh, I'm going to give the points to Rob and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we can okay. both get the points. This is Learned League. Yes. No, I'm going to say kibbutz is not the correct answer. Kibbutz is a different, it's a whole different thing. I know, it's, it's a farm. Yeah. <laughs> or fish. But yes, two points for Robin. Mike. Yeah, nobody tell my Jewish husband that I got this wrong. Okay. Just be between us. Question three. Although Robin Kibo, Mike got this right. Yes. Uh, Robin Mike, we're temporarily going to submit the answer Schofeld, possibly channeling the James Bond bill- villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually revised their answer and changed it to Scoville, which is the correct answer. Oh, yes. Jessica also submitted Scoville. So Jessica gets one point for Good Scoville. Thing, Robin Mike yes. get two. Currently, Robin Mike are ahead four to two after three questions. Question four was a push. Nobody was able to get the answer we were looking for was arabesque. The Beanie Baby Lamb mm. is named mm. after an Islamic art tile and also a ballet move, arabesque. So nobody got any points for that. No harm, no foul. No Question key. five, the clue box location was a pier and the two word location they were at was seem reap. Uh. So reap and pier was the phonetic reversal we were looking for. Again, no points there, no harm, Is no that foul. the one that Mike was so angry about? Oh, of course. Listen, okay. there was like a 12-step explanation. We had to remember to all these Cambodian names that we were, I completely went out of my head five days after the fact. Uh, question six, Jessica's answer that she submitted was Lenny and Squiggy. Rob and Mike submitted the answer Nigel and Tuft. Uh, so since the question was to fill in the blank, blank and the blank tones, we were actually looking for Lenny and Squig. The answer being Lenny and the oh, come Squig on. tones. Yeah, Thorsten would have given me like the point. Uh, <laughs> it's RTFQ. Blank and the blank tones, Lenny and the Squig tones, which Rob said. Uh, Rob did utter Lenny and the Squig Tones, but they ultimately submitted a different answer. So since neither side submitted the answer that I was looking for, the scores stay as they stand with a victory of four to two. The winners are Rob and Mike. Really? No. (laughs) Don't like it. (gasps) All right. This doesn't feel earned, but thank you. It was not. Miles, look, we we put you in a tough spot to come in and make games. and, And at some point, we've all gotten mad at you. Oh. Well, and you know well, what, though? I'm, I'm just going to say it. It is classy when someone declares that someone else has won a thing to just say, okay, according to the rules of this game, you guys won the thing. 
And I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about whether or not you should have won. So you guys won. It's cool. I'm setting, I'm being the change I want to see in the world. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, yeah, we got to say to the end, because I very much misinterpreted that last question. Uh, when I heard Christopher guess, my mind just went to another place. I had no idea about Lenny and the squig tones. I just was going with the character names. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, Miles, uh, you, nobody has made two games for us this season, I don't believe. So th- uh, thank you for that. Nobody, has, uh, nobody has ever uh, made a scavenger hunt for us to play on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, a lot of firsts today. I've left my mark on the tar pits, which, by the way, I have run about six scavenger hunts at La Brea Tar Pits. So it was definitely the Ooh. right person to come in for this job. All right. Is there really that much stuff to find at the tar pits? No, but the Natural History Museum brought me back year after year, so I kept having to write new clues for the same exhibits. It's exhausting. This was much, much more fun. <laughs> okay. Miles, uh, of course, uh, where can people keep up with what you're doing? Uh, you can go to my website, milesnye.com. You can find me on Twitter at milesnye or on Instagram at milesnyegram. And if you want to know more about the games that I play with groups, which nowadays I do over Zoom, you can find me at wiseguysevents.com or wiseguys.events, which is our fancy URL. Um, so yeah, if you, yeah, if you want to learn more about playing fun games uh, and right now online because of safety, uh, go to wiseguys.events. You can fill out a form and uh, you can get mad at me too over Zoom. So uh, we, can, we, can, uh, uh, we can all play together. Can that be your slogan? Get mad at me over Zoom? <laughs> That's, uh, yes, that's. Uh, let me. I gotta update the website. That yeah. should be your Twitter bio at the very least. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, uh, Jess. Uh, what What's next for you this week? Well, um, I'm. I have just finished last night recording the season three episode eight episode of Star Trek Discovery, and um, Mike and I failed to properly commemorate season three episode seven of yeah. it, but. Uh, yeah, we should have called you on. Yeah, really should have. Um, well, listen, no, I mean, there's going to be a time in the future, uh, whether near or far, in which we're going to come on to your, yes. yeah, your podcast to talk about Star Trek. So let's not, you know, put the the, the starship before the dilithium. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly we could have you watch this episode as part of that. But mm. anyway, season three, episode eight. It was a banger of an episode. Mike banger. and I had a great time talking about it on post show recaps. So you can go check that out. And then over also over on post show recaps, I have been um, writing the post show recaps patron newsletter every yes. week. And I don't know if anybody actually reads it, but I have a lot of fun writing it. So you That's can certainly, well yeah, you can certainly check it out by going to patreon.com slash post show recaps. And I do not believe you have to be a patron to read the newsletters. Okay. All right. Mike, what's coming up for you? Uh, well, we, d- we did a lot of stuff together the past few days, yes. Rob. Had a very good time uh, ranking and rating Survivor's most noticeable hats with the great Chantel Francis. And in a probably similarly dif- differently contentious podcast, uh, you mentioned it before, you, me, Shannon Guster have held a little bit of a panel discussion on what the Netflix advent of Survivor means for the show. We talked about... Uh, what seasons should be put on next. We got into the big question of, okay, you have a new Survivor fan in your life now. What seasons should you show them and in what order? Suffice it to say, everyone has their different opinions. Absolutely entitled to it. We gave a few options. 
peruse it. Feel free to agree or disagree. Yeah. But we had a very fun time with Can that. Can we ask Miles while while he's here? Miles, uh, you f- have a friend that they just watched Survivor on Netflix. They want to watch more Survivor. Uh, do you do you have a uh, a like curated episode or season list, or do you have them go uh, back to the beginning? It probably depends on the friend. Sorry to give a cop-out answer. No, I'm, I'm going to give a decisive answer. Yes. Pick a good season and one that's relatively recent. And then if they love that, they can go back to the beginning and start from there if it's for them. Okay. There you uh, go. Well, that's, yeah. I co-signed that. Uh, definitely co-signed that. But uh, we have, we have a great discussion there. And then, of course... Approaches we talked about on the podcast. Yeah. But uh, over on Post Show Recaps, just mentioned our, our Star Trek uh, continuing discovery, quite literally. Josh Wiggler and I are going down the hatch. We are approaching the brig, which is just really a... To use Chris's vernacular, a banger of a stretch during the end of uh, season three. And I got to uh, hop on board to another star franchise as myself and Kevin Mahadeo talked to the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Last week. It was another banger this week. Uh, yeah, very like simultaneously thrilling and depressing one. So Kevin and I talked through all the stuff that happened. Everything's going to be fine. No spoilers. Everything, yeah, everything's going to be okay. But suffice to say, a lot happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. We were a lot in our feels about it. So make sure to check that out with Kevin and I are doing. And if you haven't yet, I mentioned it before. I interviewed Iswar and Aparna. Uh, that's up over at parade.com. And it won't be long before we're back here a few more days talking about our fourth place team. And then we do the whole thing over again. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have some exciting news. Uh, we've got some amazing race merch available for you to check out. That We have uh, dropped a mother load of uh, new offerings to our robinswebsite.com slash shop. Uh, that if you just, I'm telling you, go head on over there. Keep scrolling. Uh, we have uh, so much stuff that we've just dropped uh, onto the store uh, available in uh, men's shirts, women's shirts, V-necks, crewnecks, different colors, coffee mugs, you name it. Uh, but you'll definitely want to check out the uh, new designs that we have added, including a uh, special tar pits design and then also... Mm-hmm. Um, my personal favorite, the new uh, Amazing Race podcast uh, graphic with myself and Jess and Mike uh, driving. Uh, looks like a little tuk-tuk. Uh, Jess, I know we talked about on the podcast, you do not have a driver's license, but I do think appropriately, uh, you are driving the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I believe there's a little sticker on the vehicle that says, not a licensed driver. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Mike is holding the clue, but it looks like that he's uh, holding a firearm out the uh, roof of the car also. Truly the closest I'll ever get to James Bond. So I'm more than happy to wield a piece of paper like that. was the closest you came to. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So you check that out at robhasawebsite.com slash shop. All right. Uh, This was so much fun. Miles, thank you for joining us. We'll be back again live on Wednesday night after the episode to talk more amazing race thank you so much for listening take care everybody have a good one bye